For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Lines are open. You can text 0868 104 106. Paperwise, this morning, uh, we had an inquest yesterday into the deaths of two um, much loved and much missed men. Um, I'll come back to this in a few minutes' time from the court report, from the inquest report of Barry Roach, but in all of the papers this morning, carries in the Red Tops, carries in the Irish Times, the Examiner, the Echo. Uh, it's also in the, this morning's uh, Independent. And they hone in on the young father who was hailed a hero for his unbelievable action in saving his daughter's life. This is the story of the bus errand coach that careered out of control in a tragedy that claimed the life of the driver and an elderly priest. And we had the coroner's court yesterday inquest into the death of that driver, Mark Willis. He was only 53 years old, had passed every single medical with bus Aaron, never any issues, um, but died behind the wheel of his bus. And Father Con Cronin, uh, it's so sad, it's so tragic. He was just crossing the road. You remember the story back in uh, 2021, August of 21? He was just crossing the road, he just had lunch inside in the bosun. He was crossing the road with a pal. Uh, it was a miracle, they were saying at the inquest, that nobody else was killed in this freak accident in Monkstown back in, as I say, August of 2021. And I will come back to this uh, a little later uh, this morning. Uh, in another court, though, and this is a criminal court, we have the continuing trial of Yunat uh, Cosmin Nicolescu, 30-year-old man uh, from Romania on trial, charged with the murder of uh, 64-year-old Francis Frankie Dunn uh, back in December of uh, 2019 at Castle Grainer House in Borey Manor Road. If you're following it, and I've been following it every day, um, the latest evidence from yesterday had to do with quite an amount of recordings uh, between Nicolescu and members of Ungarda Shikana, right up to senior rank, right up to chief super rank. And it was questioning him about, um, you know, him coming back to Ireland and uh, answering some questions and hopefully uh, giving explanations as to what happened in the house that night. He was saying that he had an notion of coming back. He wouldn't come back. He said that uh, I'd rather die under an effing rock. I didn't kill the guy. I don't want to go to prison. You guys will stitch me up, stuff like that. Um, but they also went in, in the conversations, heard Nicolescu, and you can hear it on tape yesterday, talking about, you know, his version of events on that night. In fact, that entire day from going to Aldi, going back to the house, opening the door, meeting two individuals there, one with a machete and the other with a very long blade and so on and so forth. Descriptions of the two individuals that he said he met there, what they threatened to do to him if he didn't help. So that's the latest update from that court in the criminal, from that a case in the criminal courts from yesterday. It's ongoing and will go on all this week and probably all next week as well. Do you know something we touched on there recently on the air? And that was in, in, very, in many different ways. One had to do with people who went into nursing homes and were you know, stitched up for a fortune of money by the state when they shouldn't have had to pay it. Another one then had to do with uh, empty homes when people were in nursing homes. And others then had to do with what we were talking about yesterday. Say if people were elderly or living alone in, in big homes on their own, that it might be uh, an option for them to go into smaller, maybe you know, shared communal accommodation with their own little apartments and their own kitchens and you know, living amongst other people in their own community. So it's an interesting story this morning in The Independent because of the fair deal scheme. And you know, if you're in a nursing home and you're engaged in the fair deal scheme, um, it now will allow all income from renting their family home um, to be theirs. They'll be allowed to keep it, fair deal to keep all income from renting homes. So that would be nursing home residents will be able to keep the income from renting their family home uh, while they're in 
um, nursing homes. Um, all of the different barriers to that make the front and inside pages of the Independent today. Uh, and another one then that uh, the Taoiseach, uh, Leo Varadkar, has certainly, and I suppose you have to commend him because all too often people sit on fences in these kind of stories. It has to do with the transgender prisoner. And this was a big issue in Scotland. Uh, and he said he heard nothing about the fact that there was an Irish version of this until he read it in the papers of the weekend. But this morning the Mail says that the law, according to the Taoiseach, the law may have to change. Um, transgender prisoners convicted of violent crimes should not be housed in female prisons. They should be kept in the prison of their birth, if you mean, if you know what I'm saying. If you are born male, you go to prison male. If you have all of your male appendages, even though you might present or identify as female, you commit a crime like murder or rape or anything like that, you go to a man's prison. So I think that's a significant development. And I suppose you call it a significant intervention, signaling that, that Ireland now might have to change its laws to protect other female prisoners. The headline this morning says, trans prisoners should not be in women's jails. Uh, and there's a very interesting one then with regards to uh, that story regarding the, the marathon runner. Um, remember there was allegations of cheating by a member of the Gardaí uh, anti-corruption unit. He was accused of cheating in the Dublin Marathon. He's been cleared of all wrongdoing. Now, it's, it's, quite, it's quite detailed and intricate, but it was an internal disciplinary hearing by Garda bosses, and they found that he hadn't cheated during the marathon. He had made the claim, and I guess they agreed with him, that he was only ever going to finish and complete a portion of the race. Uh, so he's been cleared now of any marathon uh, cheating. There's a much lengthier backstory to that. I might come back to it a little later on this morning. And Baz, the broadcaster Baz Ashmawe, makes the papers because he um, was attacked uh, while he was above in, uh, I'm not saying necessarily in the Mitchellstown area, but he certainly was followed and attacked when he was in the greater Cork area because he was helping to build homes for Ukrainian refugees in the DIY SOS Christmas special TV episode. Himself and a team uh, went in to build homes for Ukrainian refugees. There were 100 volunteers helping to retrofit the homes, homes in Kingston College area of Mitchellstown. I don't know nothing about Kingston College. What, what is that? What was it? Was it closed? Who was it owned by? But anyway, they went in to uh, do work there and he says um, that he was followed by people. He says that he, he um, was accused by people in the area of not putting Irish people first. He says uh, down in Kinsale, people followed him on his nights out. He said, I got out of the car and they started attacking me. He says, I was thinking the energy that these people put into chasing me and not doing anything to help uh, in the sense that, you know, wouldn't you think they'd be doing better things with their time, he's saying. So that's kind of unfortunate that that happened in uh, the Fair County uh, of Cork. It's a very alarming story making the front page of the English Times this morning. And I don't want to al- alarm anybody, maybe alert more than anything else. But scientists within the NHS have looked at the records of 10,000 women under the age of 50 who had a diagnosis of breast cancer between 96 and 2017. And the study is showing that taking the pill or any other form of uh, hormonal contraception increases the risk of breast cancer by 25%. And this is, I suppose, research that you take quite seriously. It's from Oxford University. Uh, and it's a front page story on the front and inside pages of the English Times today. Um, and of course, who will get the Late Late Show gig? Um, they say that uh, it, it's Claire Burns and then that it will be announced and, uh, you know, she's going to get it. Others, though, are speculating that it could be, you know, 
take your pick uh, Tommy Tiernan um, well, certainly won't be I'll tell you one thing it certainly won't be Miriam O'Callaghan she, she says it's not my prime time in fact she says I'm telling you the same thing I said 14 years ago I'm not interested in the Late Late Show so she's ruled herself out of the race to become the next host um, so the Late Late Show is wide open now declaring herself out of the running so I guess at this stage I don't know I mean who would be the, who would be the short list I mean think about it certainly it would be Tommy Tiernan Certainly, it would be Claire Byrne. Um, am, I, am I missing? Am I missing anybody else? Is it really down to the two of them, or could it be uh, maybe other one or two females that might you be already ruling well? yourself out, Neil? <laughs> Lad, if I was living in Dublin, I'd do the Late Late Show, no bother whatsoever, and I'd say I'd be damn good at it too, considering the track record of those in the past. Would you not do it from Cork? No, I don't know. Claire Byrne, I suppose. We were, you, ta- we were just ta- set up. I tell you where I was yesterday, <laughs> down in the Marina Market, right? They've converted a huge section of the Marina Market now for film crews. They're filming the Young Offenders down there, right? Ardmore Studios and all sorts of studios are full now, apparently. So the Marina Market, I hope, will be developed as a film studio. Mm. It's got all of the gear down there. Massive, big, huge, insulated rooms. Great food offerings for the cast and the crew. I'd love to see the Marina Market become a huge, big film location. So every Friday night. So you could put a show in there as well. <laughs> I, I could see yourself and Reggie now co-hosting. <laughs> it would be the job. What are we doing? I'm Virgin. RT wouldn't touch me, but maybe Virgin. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Or uh, what, what, was the, what was the one years ago? The Cork Community un- TV, is this? <laughs> this RT unbanned me again. Yeah, that's right. Back in the, the day. CCTV. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That was um, Cork. No, that was on, that was on multi-channel. It yeah. was. Yeah. It was on the old show called First Edition. But uh, like, I think we were Who talking about... Who are the others? Who are the others? Well, we were talking about... Clareburn is, yeah. is the obvious one because I think the thing is you need to be able to uh, like Mary McCallaghan was another of, of kind of obvious candidate because they have uh, current affairs quite a lot of experience but Sarah McInerney's like very her. popular like her very popular yeah. on radio attitude, yeah she yeah. could be good yeah um, I'm trying to think of others but definitely I think I think really and I personally think it, it would be nice oh god no, no. I, I think great they, with people. Oh, they, they, he's no. great with people. Oh, do you really want Marty Morrissey interviewing Joe Biden? Why, why not? <laughs> why not? Because his first question will be, "What GA club did you but grow up It's just give, so broken. Give him a go. Oh no. But no. I think RT are hemorrhaging quite a lot of their their viewers. They need a younger audience. So to me, it would be a no-brainer. Jerry Ryan's daughter Lottie or, or maybe Zamparelli uh, Zamparelli yeah I don't know Zamparelli again it's it's John Creedon is one suggestion Creedon. here Screen would be a good one brilliant yeah. with people great with people yeah. brilliant really with nice people. Way of people and he'd ask all the right questions yeah. and he'd look at everything from a different angle That's would, w- and that's why I think I was going to say that's why I think it would be good to have a female host but it will be change. Claire Byrne it I, will be it just I will probably will unless somebody here says Dustin the Turkey anybody for Dustin the Turkey mm. for the Late Late Toy Show He's retired now, isn't he? Is he? Was he put out the pasture? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's waiting for the presidency. Anyway, maybe, maybe a Vox. Why don't you do a Vox on the streets of Cork later I'll on? I'll do a Vox Get stuff the out there. Let's see what the Cork people want for the next there host of the Late Late Show. <laughs> okay, back to just another one or two newspaper stories. And this was something that came up again at the Joint Policing Committee uh, yes, at the, on Monday. And it's just an update. You know, you've got supermarkets and the likes of all of the shoplifting that's gone on in town. Uh, it's absolutely shocking. One typical example of that is Tesco in Paul Street. Cork Bio this morning are saying, that Cork City Tesco staff are now wearing body cams because the store is losing €10,000 a week to theft. And the vast majority of it been stolen out of Tesco, apparently, is alcohol. And that's the big issue. Uh, 78% 
uh, according to the chief super, told the Joint Police Committee that shop theft, theft is up 78% in the first few months of the year and alcohol is the key feature that they're looking for. So these cameras, all of the staff will wear them. They'll have a button on them where they can start recording during any interrupt, interaction where they feel they need to use the camera first. Um, security staff have it, but it had been made optional. But now, you know, apparently they're going to have to get everybody to wear them because they just can't continue to hemorrhage 10 grand a year in spite of the fact that apparently it's one of Cork's most profitable supermarkets. How much would you think that uh, Tesco in Paul Street takes a week? Half a million. Half a million. It's big numbers, isn't it? Papers also this morning talk of, well, I might come back to the other stories across the morning, but one or two that are quite interesting is Ed Sheeran, who's vowing in all of the red tops today that he will never do drugs again. A very close pal of his uh, has died. And apparently, uh, my understanding of this is Ed Sheeran was part of a documentary into the death of Jamal Edwards, uh, who died at the age of 31 uh, after taking cocaine. And apparently... um, while it doesn't actually mention, and I couldn't find any mention as to the different types of drugs that Ed Sheeran's been taking, he said, I used to take drugs twice a day, but I've now stopped to respect my pal Jamal. Uh, and it was a bit of a wake up call for him. So text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Our lines are open as always. Neil Prendeville, Gold Imro Award winner for Speech Broadcaster of the Year. Cork's Red FM. I'm going to get straight to my phone lines. Barry Rhodes, Southern Correspondent for the Irish Times. We've been covering a lot yesterday. Certainly we've been covering the case in the uh, Cork Criminal Courts, but also an inquest into the sad death of Father uh, Con Cronin. And indeed, uh, not just Con, he was killed when he was hit by, uh, when he was actually hit by a bus in Monkstown. But the driver, Mark Willis, at the age of 51, who suffered a cardiac arrest, a cardiac event behind the wheel of the bus, and also died. We're going back to August 3rd, 2021. Barry Roach for the Irish Times. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you Awfully doing? sad. And a very detailed report from the inquest, wasn't it? Um, Father Khan uh, it was, yeah, and his secretary were inside in the bosun having a bit of lunch on a lovely sunny day. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, inquests are never pleasant, but this was very sad listening to this evidence yesterday. Yeah, uh, Father Khan Cronin, as you say, parish priest in the Harbour Parishes in... Um, done the passage Monkstone uh, Ringskiddy and um, Shandali uh, he was with the parish secretary Catherine Concannon they were having some coffee in the, in the boats in the Monkstone and um, she had to leave and they were getting some baptismal search for, from her car and crossing the road on Strand Road there and just to give a flavour of, of, of how their, their sort of mood I suppose uh, she gave evidence yesterday that um, there had been some transfers announced in the diocese by Cork and Ross by uh, Bishop uh, Fintan Gavin and Father Con was delighted. She said he was extremely happy that his name wasn't on the transfer list and that he would be staying in the Harbour Parishes. So they were heading across the road and we heard evidence from a woman called Rosemary O'Connor who was out with her husband Morris out, sitting outside the boat and, and Father Con said, isn't it a beautiful day here? It's like living in the Caribbean. So that was the sort of setting. And then obviously everything changed dramatically. He, said, he says... He says um he says, better than Caribbean, her husband said, because you don't have to get on an aeroplane. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, so, it's a lovely bit of banter, of, yeah. Nice bit of banter, and obviously everybody knew him down there, and he was hugely popular, as we'll hear later, I suppose. But, um, Mark Wills, the bus air driver, had come down. He was, uh, that's his regular route, so he was well-known as well. He'd come down and had stopped the bus further on, over along Strand Road, uh, had turned the bus and come back. He'd only travelled about 318 metres, apparently, from the stop, 
when he suffered this cardiac event and collapsed and the bus careered across the road. It was coming back towards Cork at this stage, careered across the road. And we heard that, um, we heard, uh, well, I suppose in terms of, we heard from a couple of witnesses. First of all, we heard from um, Keith Fitzgibbon. He saw the crash happen and saw the bus driver slumped over the wheel. After it happened, he tried to get into the bus but the cabin driver's cabin was closed. He couldn't get in from the drive from the left hand side as were to get a pulse. So then he went round the other side, reached the window, couldn't get a pulse, came back the other side and got tried again. And there was various efforts made. People had to get a hammer and so forth to get at Mark Wills, but they weren't getting any pulse. He realised there was somebody under the bus as well. Um, we heard from a man called Des Tobin. He saw the bus careering across the road towards his car. He was bringing his two daughters, Vivian and Kayla, fishing, and he was just parking there. Saw the bus coming. He managed to push Vivian out of the way between some other cars and jumped out of the way himself. He was seen somersaulting as they were out of the way. But uh, thanks to his actions, he saved his daughter's life and his own, we heard later. So they were two of the witnesses. Um, we heard also from uh, a medical emer- emergency medical consultant, Dr. Owen Folk, that he arrived at the scene to find people carrying out CPR and Mark Willis, but unfortunately they weren't able to resuscitate him and he was pronounced dead at 2.20. Guard Tim McSweeney was the first guard on the scene. He's guard based in Passage and he knew Father Colin, he knew Mark Willis as well. And um, he actually crawled under the bus. Uh, Father Con was trapped under it and he reached in and he couldn't get any pulse. They had to wait until the fire service came to lift the bus so before they could access uh, Father Con. And unfortunately, they weren't able to revive him and he was pronounced dead at 2.50 p.m. Uh, we heard evidence from state pathologist, or assistant state pathologist, Dr. Margaret Bolster, saying that Mr. Wills had suffered a cardiac event and lost consciousness and the cause of death was ventricular hypertrophy or thickening of the walls of their heart's main pumping chamber and coronary related to dilation and coronary artery disease and she said that could lead to can happen suddenly can lead, or sorry the effects of that can lead to a, a collapse a sudden collapse which clearly was what happened here lost consciousness that, caused not, death lost yeah. consciousness and uh, because we heard the Tim McSweeney, the, the guard, uh, obtained some CCTV footage from the ensign, which listeners will be aware is just next to the bus, and, and that actually showed the accident happening. So uh, the bus didn't, there was no corrective. Once it started to veer off, courses were Mark Wills was unconscious, and there was no, so you couldn't uh, attempt to correct the veering off course. So, Dr. Bolster said Father Cronin died from blunt force trauma. He had multiple fractures of the ribs, uh, bleeding into the lungs and chest, bruising cuts to the lungs, and several long bone, like leg and arm fractures, as well as some mild traumatic brain injury. Um, we heard from a tachyograph analyst, Edgardo Ray O'Brien. Uh, he was he able to tell the speed of the, the, yeah, the bus? Yeah, he was saying that it hit a speed of about 38 kilometres after it took off from the bus stop, about 320 metres away. Uh, and that was only 55 seconds earlier, so he just, Mark, Mark Wilson just left the bus stop effectively. Uh, and the bus came to a very sudden stop when it mounted the path, uh, scraped the wall, and then hit five parked cars. I suppose that we also heard from a, a guard of protocol, and he's a PSV inspector. He examined the bus and he said he was satisfied that it was in a roadworthy condition mm. and he could find no evidence of any mechanical defects that uh, contributed to the collision. And then, as I say, we heard from Guard Ray Sweeney. He's the forensic crash investigator. He viewed the. Um, CCTV. He said the bus was traveling at 39 kilometers when it struck the wall. And um, he said Miss Concannon had spotted the bus some 10 yards before impact and she turned around and gone back 
whereas Father Cronin only spotted the bus coming for him four seconds before the impact and he tried to run across oh, the road. Dear. Yeah. He got inside the yellow line uh, at his edge of the margin, but because the bus mounted the footpath and then hit the wall, he was uh, struck by it uh, and it, as I say, he ended up under the bus, the poor man. We heard as well God. from a, an occupational health doctor, or sorry, the coroner, Frank O'Connor, was said, you know, it was a very unusual occurrence, but he, um, obviously with serious consequences in this. Actually, I should just go back and say that um, Ray Sweeney said he wasn't somebody who used the word miracle lightly or wouldn't, wasn't inclined to use that, but he said the fact that there weren't more people killed in this was ex- really, truly remarkable given the, the potential for, for further death and injury that could happen yeah, there. Yeah. Um, That's in the sense well, of Des Tobin saving Vivian's life as well. Yeah, no, she yeah. did end up with some facial injury, bleeding from the mouth and a foot injury, but in the scale of things, she emerged with very minor injuries and could easily have been killed as could Des Tobin himself. So, um, and you know, there were people there, it was a sunny day, as I say. Um, doc, uh, sorry, Frank O'Connell, the coroner, was, uh, said it was a, um, I think he described it as a, a very unusual occurrence, but he said, uh, you know, the people would need to need reassurance regarding public transport. So we heard evidence from Dr. Bree Sullivan. She's an occupational health physician with the CIE group of companies. And she said uh, Mark Wills had been medically examined in 2018 and he'd been given a five-year clearance for his bus driver's licence after he passed what are called the Sloan to August Tamont Medical Fitness to Drive Guidelines. Oh, absolutely, yeah. He had been examined by a cardiologist some years earlier. And, and he'd been and examined also by a cardiologist fit. in 2017 and yeah. he was deemed fit to hold yeah. the, the D licence. So yeah. that, I suppose, um, was important to highlight that. Uh, the jury, uh, I suppose the inquest went on for over two hours and the jury returned a verdict of death due to natural causes in the case of Mark Wills and uh, death of uh, verdict of accidental death in the case of uh, Father Cronin, when struck by a bus while crossing the road in passage. Um, then uh, the coroner, uh, Frank O'Connell, he extended his sympathies to Mr. Will's family and their their loss, his, his wife, Deirdre, and also the family of Father Cronin, whom he knew personally, and he said was a fantastic guy, a breath of fresh air, always full of the joys of spring, and he referenced the fact that uh, he got a huge send-off from the parishes that night. Yeah. Yeah. I remember myself, I think he was expected back in home church in, in Cumhola near Bantry at 8 o'clock. They didn't get out of passage till or amongst them passage, Ring City till 10 o'clock. There were people just lying the streets. And I remember the day it happened. Uh, I went down to the vigil that night myself down to a. I knew him to see, I didn't know him to talk to, but I just knew him to see from the Greenway. And um, there were four or five hundred people there, and there was people sang, and it was real outpouring grief there John Spillane I remember saying and uh, people were really really shocked really I know it's just tragic. so tragic he seems to have touched a huge number of yeah. lives down there yeah we're two so yeah. Um, yeah, two lives uh, you have a driver going off to work in the morning doing his yeah. his duty and moving yeah. people around on his bus and he dies and, and then a, a priest full of the joys of spring because he gets to remain in his parish and having a bit of lunch and yeah. chatting with parishioners and then no, uh, James Holland, the inspector, said he, he extended his sympathies as a, to both Father Cronin's family, but also to Mark Wells. He said Mark was well known in the area because it was his local bus route, so people knew him as well. And he was a very popular guy and, and very popular with his colleagues in Bus Air. And uh, then we heard from uh, Solicitor Paul Clune, he was representing Bus Air, and he said, uh, as I said, that Mr. Wills was a very popular man amongst his colleagues, and he offered his sympathies to both families. And then Colm Cronin, who's a nephew of Father Con, he offered his sympathies to the Wills family and thanked all those who had come to the aid of his uncle on the Awful day of the sad tragedy. Very, very sad, sad indeed. Desperately sad one. Okay. Barry, thanks as always uh, for coming on air and talking us through that inquest yesterday. Barry Rhodes, Southern Correspondent.
with the Irish Times. Text 0868104106. You can pick up the phone on 0818104106. We're back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Another news this morning. Sad news overnight to hear that uh, Gilabi Veterinary Hospital is to shut permanently. A big, massive veterinary hospital out in Toker. I think it started originally up around Gilabi Street in 1957 and then moved. And I know that there were all sorts of issues with regards to it being temporarily closed, but that closure now has been made permanent and it will close its doors for the final time on the 31st of this month. So that's kind of sad to see uh, the Galabi Veterinary Hospital go and unfortunately there'll be there'll be staff losses uh, as well. Um, in, in other news, yesterday, um, and, and I suppose it should be something that we should be celebrating all week long, yesterday was World Down Syndrome Day and after lunch yesterday I went out to Field of Dreams in Corraheen because they had a big event out there to mark World Down Syndrome Day. Um, and we were there, and the Lord Mayor was there, and there was lots of um, young adults there, um, and also their families, their mams and their dads and their brothers and sisters. But I was blown away by what they do out there. And uh, thank you so much for Sheila, to Sheila for meeting me yesterday. Uh, we had some lovely photographs and chats with the young adults there. These are young adults with Down Syndrome, living with Down Syndrome, but they, every one of them um, is just so full of the joys of life and so happy. Uh, there's three acres out there of horticultural land, right, in Corraheen, and they grow from seed everything that they need to prepare food in their kitchens, all out in Field of Dreams. So it's from planting the seed in the ground to growing all of the food, preparing it, cooking it, and then eating it and enjoying it. And it's absolutely incredible. And the facilities they have out there with the polytunnels and all of the open planting, and then the kitchen area and the fabulous equipment in the kitchen. And they've only just gone and done and printed a book now called Field of Dreams, Dream Food. And it's the recipes of the young adults themselves. And I was chatting with some of them yesterday about the different foods that they prepared and also beautiful cakes. And uh, they gave me a half a dozen cakes to take away yesterday. It was just a real fun event, even though it was howling wind and bucketing down with rain. They had some fantastic canopies, beautifully built. But the recipes in the book are superb. All sorts of soups and salads and uh, coleslaws and, you know, apple and celery salads and leek and potato soups and frittatas and hummus and beautiful photographs and all of the ingredients. So to each and every one of them that was involved in that yesterday, take a bow because the book is absolutely glorious. Uh, I'll get some further details as to where people can pick up copies of the book. But they, they, everybody's took me as so happy. Do you notice that? In spite of the fact that these young adults and children have so many challenges, and God knows their parents do too. It's got to be hard work and a worry. But they're just so happy. You know, they're always smiling and they're just in a, in a, in a wonderful, wonderful place. And it was just lovely to be there yesterday uh, as part of, as I say, World Down Syndrome Day. A field of Dreams, a beautiful place just outside uh, Corraheen. It's just an, an enormous area of land, like three acres that they've turned into horticulture out there for the young elves to grow and prepare and to cook and eat um, everything that they produce. It's wonderful. So well done to all concerned. Text 0868104106 for all of the business. You might recall uh, Michal Martin saying that um, the case of Enoch Burke is proof that homeschooling causes isolation and the children should be educated in schools. He said in the interview, I think it was an examiner interview, it was, that he didn't want to sound patronising, but he said the situation the Burke family found themselves in is sad and disquieting. Now, uh, Bjorn Martin himself is a teacher. Uh, Enoch Burke's mother 
is a qualified teacher and she homeschooled her 10 children. Yo Martin said, I find it very sad that a family finds themselves in this kind of a situation um, and that they've had a very isolated perspective on life and everybody else is wrong in their eyes. Um, and he says, I don't want to comment too much, but I think it does speak to the importance of socialization, particularly in education. The idea that people should be educated in schools. He went on to say that he's not a great fan of homeschooling. And I suppose what he's kind of saying is that the fact that they were homeschooling is part of the reason as to why Enoch Burke is in this ongoing standoff with this school, the courts and the state. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, you know, a lot of the time you find politicians sitting on the fence in matters like like this, but he's come out and said, not a fan. Prompted a letter from Chris Carr, uh, an open letter that he wrote to the Echo on this topic and also on the topic of uh, homeschooling. I, ha- I have the letter, but I'd much prefer to talk to Chris. So, Chris, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Oh, good. What did you, what did you have to make about what uh, Mio Hall Martin says? I mean, are you coming from the background of being pro-homeschooling? Um, no. Um, I, I, I thought he was, um, his, his comments... He, he just, they just came out of his mouth. He didn't think about them. Yeah. Um, well, you say, how dare you judge homeschooling yes. parents? Yeah. Yes, I, I know, I, I, I mean, I know of families who homeschool. I know a particular family who homeschool their children. They are devoutly religious, but they didn't bring their children up the way the Burks brought theirs up. The Burks have a lot of emotional, um, emotional problems that stem from their family background. It has nothing to do with homeschooling. I mean, they were lucky they were homeschooled because if they went through mainstream school, their lives could have been hugely different. Okay, well, I'm not obviously going to dwell no, on any aspects I, of their lives. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. The, point, the point is, I went, to, I went to high school. I left when I was, before I was 16. I didn't get a, a real good education. I was that like junior cert or inter cert or something? Um, I didn't even do that. I... I, I didn't do that. Right. I, I skipped it. Um, I didn't go ahead and do it because I didn't feel I was able to do it. Not for um, everyone, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I left school at 16 and I could read and I could spell when I left school. So I didn't get, I went to mainstream school. I didn't get an education. I educated myself after I left school many years later. Um, so the Burks are highly school, academic though. Oh, they are, but they were, they were homeschooled by their parents and they, their, their academic education is proof of how good homeschooling can be. Their behaviour, that's a totally different matter. That has nothing to do with homeschooling. They would be like that even if they weren't homeschooled. Okay, well, we, we won't go there because we can't dwell on that aspect of their private no. life. But Michal Martin was saying that it has a lot to do with going to school, socialising, you know, hanging out with your peers, interacting in classroom scenarios with others of your age. You know, you know that kind of interaction that's needed, I you do, know, the camaraderie of schooling and, with pals. Yeah, yes, and, and classrooms are also bigger and teachers have a lot more students to deal with and certain students are falling behind, they're going to fall behind. And they but they are, but who behind. could disagree with the man who says that I think children need to socialise and need to go to school to do a lot of that? I mean, sure, like, that's nobody, kind of common sense. No, it is, and no one would disagree with it. But who's to say that children who are homeschooled do not get to socialise and mix with their peers? Of course they do. They may not do get to do it during school hours when they're being homeschooled at home, but they do afterwards. You know. But how do they make the how do they make the friends if they don't go to school? Well, they have friends after school, right? Yeah, but it's kind of harder, isn't it? 
Like, where would you go um, if you're being homeschooled? Where do you meet your pals? Like, you, how do you get introduced to them? Well, to call to people, to, to take this, you, can, you can have friends call to your home. You can call to other people. Homeschooling, as far as I know, with homeschooling parents, they're a community. Yeah. yeah. And they're well connected. And generally, there's a lot of homeschooling parents in the area. And I think especially about Barone Wexford, there's a lot of homeschooling families in, in, in one area. Right. And they all interconnect and okay. they all... They all meet and we can have so and have social outings. So you see no drawbacks whatsoever from homeschooling. I don't. No, I mean I don't. There's going to be drawbacks in everything in life. There's going to be, you know, benefits in everything in life. You're going to have drawbacks. You're going to have benefits. But the bottom line is, I disagree with Michal Martin that that that, that the box behaviour is a result of homeschooling and being isolated. That, that so, they have a very isolated perspective in life. Yeah, their, um, their, 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 their perspective in life will be very isolated, all right, because there, was, there isn't a lot of people who would agree with them. Right, so. Yeah, well, but, yeah, but he says but they, he, that they believe that because of that, and I suppose he might be tracing it back to homeschooling, that they believe because of their isolated perspective on life that they will always say that everyone else is wrong and not them. No, that has to do with their. That has to do with the the, the way they were, um, their beliefs, the way they were. They were that's to do. Their with religious the way, beliefs, yeah. Their, the way their parents communicated their religious understandings to them growing up, right? In a very okay. dogmatic and overpowering and overbearing way. Okay, okay. And you know, you can actually see from the behaviour it would have had an effect on them either way, whether they were home. Well, they're just they're just profoundly that. religious and have religious beliefs. And yeah. those beliefs seem to get mocked an awful lot by many people in Ireland these days. Do you have a thought on the mocking and the ridiculing of the Burks? <laughs> I used to walk in me straight face that myself. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I used to face that myself all the time, but that, that wouldn't make any difference to me. I, I, I'm not as... Um, I, I wouldn't care. I'd practice my beliefs. And, and, you know, I've no problem talking about it, debating it. I've no problem defending it. So you would describe yourself as being a very religious person? I would since I came, in, since I came into religion in 2007, since I came, came into it in 2005, actually. Okay. But in okay. 2007, when I came into the Catholic Church, yes. So do you um, have a I view would, on, on the whole issue of, of uh, gender uh, and transgenderism and the problems that he faced by not calling a pupil by their preferred pronoun? Um, I would. I, 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 I admire him for standing up for what he believes. Personally, I've no problem with using they and them pronouns. I prefer him. I prefer that they they used they them pronouns rather than he she because I wouldn't call a boy a girl or a girl a boy. Right. But at the same time, I would respect those who are going through those problems. But they would have to be willing to accept. You know, I don't have to bend to those either. Like, okay. Um, yeah. But you seem I, a lot I, more tolerant than Enoch Burke, who would use neither they nor them. Yeah, because that's what Christian religion is all about, is being understanding and compassionate and you know, it's okay. not about yeah. pushing your beliefs down people's throats and which I don't do. Okay, okay, good stuff. Listen, yeah. thanks for taking the call. Appreciate it. Uh, interesting perspective on it. Uh, Maeve, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How uh, are do you, you homeschool, Maeve? Um, Neil, I did for um, a lot of years and my children are now, um, my eldest girl is now in third year in university. Okay. Love to get, and, I'd love uh, to get yeah. your perspective on homeschooling after the break. Sure. Just hold on there. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. I like Chris' perspective on it there because Caroline actually picks up on it and I think this would be something that Maeve would be interested in as well. Just a quick uh, text from Caroline Maeve. She says, the Burke children from being homeschooled they have a teacher 
a solicitor, a trainee barrister, an economic historian and a doctor. Sounds like homeschooling went pretty good there. Good point, isn't it, Maeve? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you have all types of diversity in, in school-going populations and in homeschooling. So, you know, um, you, you can't say that they're typical of either group, really. You know, they've obviously done well academically. It's, it's an important part of life, but it's not the full story. And that's, and, and that's what he's honing in on, the other part of that story, the isolated yeah. perspective on life that the children would have. The feeling that, um, you know, uh, that children need to go to school to socialise with others of their own age. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was very disappointed at me, Hall Martin's comments. Um, I, I thought uh, for a man who studied history and is uh, um, a, a government representative to be sort of unaware or uh, denigrating the Constitution by saying, you know, that he doesn't believe in homeschooling, which is, an inalienable right in our um, constitution. Um, I thought it was very just sloppy kind of speech, like Chris said. You're um, a mother to three girls, all as you call yes. them. You call them unschooled. Is that your term? Yeah. Yes. Well, it's not my term. It's it's a philosophy of education which really looks at how humans are learning from the moment they're born until the moment they die, and that. All humans want to learn and we don't have to do it in an institution or by getting diplomas or, you know, uh, degrees. We all know, you know, we all know people who have very many talents and they didn't necessarily get those, you know, in an institution. So it's um, it's kind of embracing life, really, uh, unschooling. It's like, where's my opportunity to learn today? And, you know, where will that path take me? And following our interests and our passions and um, getting expertise in areas that you're good at and, um, and very much socialising with your community and with your world. OK, be easy enough for you, though, being a primary teacher. I think you also had experience in teaching in second and third level. So that would come very naturally to you to teach your daughters, right? Well, I mean, yes, I, I, I am a teacher, but because I embrace this philosophy, I very much, um, I, I didn't teach my children in, it's in, I suppose it's in how we define teaching, you know, there can be very narrow views of teaching, which is sit down and turn to the next page in a workbook. Well, you have, well, you have to teach them to read and write to begin with, and then you have to teach well, them how to add and subtract. They're the basics, yeah. and then you move on from there. Well, you do. I, I mean, the thing is, Neil, children actually learn an awful lot of those things organically because they're in their world. If they weren't relevant to them, perhaps they wouldn't. But, you know, there's print everywhere. They go into a shop, there's, there's writing on every package, on every package, you know, every, every bar of chocolate, every packet of crisps that they want to read. You know, there's, if they want to look up things online, you know, there's print if kids are buying match attacks, there's print. Our house is filled with books. They would have gone to libraries. So to be honest, you know, it just happened very gradually because there's not any school pressure for it to happen when you're four or when you're five. Okay. You know, but when does the pressure come? I mean, is homeschooling up to the end of primary or can it go further? It can, yeah. I mean, it, the Constitution says the parent is the primary educator of the child and they can choose to do that inside a, a school system of their choosing or outside. So, yeah, it can go all the way. 
But surely in secondary, of a secondary school age, a student, be it a son or a daughter, needs the specific teaching of teachers who are strong in particular subjects, you know, so that they, yeah. they, can, so that yeah. they can thrive in exams and in their career. Well, look, our world is amazing now, Neil, as you know. I mean, there's, you know, you go on the internet and you can find teachers in any sphere that you want. Or, I mean, you can find them in school too. I I mean, I have great time for teachers in school systems. But I'm just saying that's not the only way that one can find expertise. Um, You know, so there are plenty of ways to find people in your community online, um, older children, other adults that you know. So it is true. Yeah, you can't be an expert in everything. Um, but aren't so they missing then in, say, particularly in the secondary school, aren't they missing, like, sports and interaction and playing on team sports or getting involved in a drama group or debating or debs and grads and, you know, uh, school trips abroad, all, all that social interaction that they thrive on? Yeah, well, you can do all all those things with your community outside of school. So my girls would have been, you know, members of football teams. They did ballet. Um, uh, They were in choirs. They were in orchestras. Um, My eldest went to New York for a week when she was 13 with a choir. Um, So, you know, there's so much on now. I mean, I I, I remember talking to some homeschooling families and they were going, how do people fit in school? Because we already felt so busy bringing and driving our children to so many activities, you know. And I suppose the good thing is they can go to all those activities, but they're not laden down by coming home to maybe have to do homework. Yeah, or, okay. You know, yeah. so they, they actually were far more engaged in their community than a lot of other kids could be because they did, were quite hired. Did they ever <laughs> you know, feel set a, Yeah, did they ever feel kind of set apart, though, or different to others? Or did, did other kids ever remark to them? Uh, anything in a negative kind of a way, you know, that you're not going to school, why aren't you going to school, you know? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's a fair enough point. I think, you know, um, the way humans work, you know, when anyone's doing something that's a bit different or odd, you'll get questions and children won't have the same inhibitions and will speak their mind, yeah, you yeah. know. So I suppose my children are fairly verbose like myself and uh, they would argue their case, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard being in a minority group sometimes, you know, when you have to defend yourself. But I, I think they believe in it. And now that they're older and they, they you know, they're quite proud of it. And in fact, my two younger girls are in secondary school now. So why did you do that then? Why do it all the way along? And then because some might suggest you jumped into the traditional <laughs> means of education when you needed it for leaving cert, for instance. Yeah, I mean, I would have been quite happy for my girls not to do a leaving search. I'm just not a fan of the exam system personally, but they're their own people, you know. So when my eldest was 15, she said she um, wanted to um, go to, uh, sorry, I've just realized somebody has come to my sorry. No, okay, I'll let, I'll let sorry, you go. She made, she yeah. made the call then, was it? She made the call okay. and transition year. She went in in transition year, so she hadn't done a junior cert. And um, uh, she went in and she she did the leaving cert. Well, actually, she was a COVID pupil, so uh, she missed out on actually doing the leaving cert because it, it was predicted grades that year. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so she's now in university, you know. And even she she went for a job interview recently for an internship, 
and they were saying we need somebody who can be self-directed and self-motivated and she said look I've been homeschooled I know how to organize my time and you know so she got the job and so, you know, there are huge advantages. Certainly, and a lot of pride for you. I'll let you go because I know you're under pressure, but a lot of pride oh, yeah. to you. She's in college now going for uh, going for job interviews, um, you know, and yeah. all off the back of homeschooling initially. Maeve, thank you so much for taking the you're call. Good luck with yeah, you and, nice and the kids. You. Cheers. Take English. care. Slongafall, uh, Maeve O'Leary, Cork member of Home Educate Network. Back after 10. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. All right, come back to other calls, texts and emails regarding the Burks or homeschooling in a few minutes. Now, I just want to go quickly over to, to Dee on line one. Dee, good morning. Good morning. Um, now, Seamus is telling me you're very, very upset, and obviously yep. so. Was Everything was fine, was it, yesterday for, uh, was it your grandson's confirmation, or whose confirmation was it that, you, that your dad was it, it at? Was my, it was my son's confirmation So your dad yesterday. was at your son's confirmation yesterday. Yes. All was well. Um, yep. But what happened? Well, like, he has COPD, and he's very breathless and he was in a lot of pain yesterday and I knew he probably shouldn't have been at the confirmation but it being his grandson he um, he came um, then after everybody went away last night uh, my sister rang me and she said that the neighbour um, rang and said your dad needs an ambulance, there's an ambulance on the way so my sister went down they were taking him straight away to hospital, she wasn't allowed to go with him so I rang him this morning, quarter past eight, and he was he was crying and he couldn't breathe. So I said, right, I'm on my way. And he said, they won't let you in. And I said, why? And he said, because of COVID. And I said, like, COVID is not a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. They can't stop me from coming in to see you. Mm-hmm. So I came down, masked up everything. And I went through the main entrance in A&E, yeah. you know, said who I was there to see. They said, you can't go see him. I was like, mm, yes, I can. I said, these are restrictions or whatever. But like I said, I'm, I'm not here, you know, for in a, a medical emergency or anything like that. I just want to see my father. I have bottles of water here for him, the Sun newspaper. I just want to go in and see him myself because he's so distressed. And they were like, no, no, he's fine. He's fine. But like he's not fine. Right. Okay. So just tell me, where is your dad? Is he in the A and E? He's in the A and E. Yeah. Okay. So he's not in the hospital as such. He's not in a ward. No. Is he? Is he in there sitting on a chair? Is he on a trolley? What? What? He's on a trolley in a in a cubicle. Right. Waiting okay. to be admitted. Okay. So he's in a cubicle, right? And I do appreciate they have a job to do and all the rest. But all I want to do is just see him for five minutes for myself because. I don't take their word for it that he's okay. Mm, mm. Because you spoke because, to him on the phone and he's clearly not. And he was not okay, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I told them that I was, I was, I'm like, like Neil, right, this is a fucking joke. Excuse my language. All right, I understand right. you're upset. I'm, yeah. I'm standing here now at the no entry sign, right, the security, right, I can step in here now. They'll probably call the guards on me, but for harm. Um, as I said, I've nothing to lose other than not seeing my dad. You can't for the see him or anything because he's in a cubicle. I can't see him. Okay. I can't see him. But like, I'm at a, a door here now that says no entry. It's a security door. Right. I'm inside it. Yeah. I'm yeah. standing here, right? So, now. Sounds like you're nobody, trying to get back in, are you? I, I'm trying to get in to see my dad. Okay. No, I mean now as in you're trying to get in now. 
Yeah, like, I mean, I can wave at the nurses here in, in, in the right. A&E okay. unit. Yeah. I mean, like, I just want to see him. And what? And have you said to them it nicely and calmly and respectfully? Because you're clearly I upset. I have, Neil, because just... I, am, I am a very logical person yeah. at the best of times. Yeah. But you don't tell me that I cannot see my dad who is distressed. Now, the guards were here. I asked him, is this Cork prison or is it a healthcare? Who called the guards, Steve, though? Who called the guards? I called the guards. You did. I called the guards, right. yes. Okay. Because I felt as if my rights were being infringed okay. upon. And they came? My dad. Yeah, the guards came? Yeah, they came. The guards came, they did. And they were lovely and they explained everything. And again, I explained my situation to them. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not not leaving until I see my father. What did he say on the phone this morning, your dad? He couldn't, he could barely talk, Neil. He can barely talk. Like, he, like, he, he, they, they don't know the source of his pain, why he can't breathe. You know, like, he needs a second pair of ears with him as well because when the doctors do their rounds, like, he's, like, gone back to babyishness. Like, it's in one ear, out the other. I know, he doesn't I know. retain information. Yeah. So he needs a second set of ears. Like, why they can't nominate one family member to sit with someone is ridiculous. Now, you said in your text that obviously your dad, Michael, has COPD, you said. He's very frail. Yes. You said he's yes. in a lot of pain. You say yes. that he is end of life care because no more can be done for him. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. That is true. Misfortune. Yeah. yeah. You see, I, my, I'm, not, I'm, actually, I'm going to put my hand on my heart and I'm going to say, I don't know what the rules are in A&E, but I do know that restrictions have been somewhat lifted in hospitals, you know, where one visitor per patient during designated times, usually 6 to 8 p.m. in the evening. A&D is a... I don't know what the rules are there. But look, Neil, rules are rules, like, but they are made to be broken. I mean, in fairness, like, if I'm... I just want five minutes. I just want to see him. I don't want... Like, if it were an under-14-year-old no child or something, or a 10 or an 8-year-old, exactly. uh, you could exactly. go in with that child. Exactly. So why can't I go in and see my father, who is, like, you know, on back to childhood? I, I, I 100% agree with you. I absolutely do agree with you. I can't understand why you can't be with a mask on, allowed to go in, sanitise your hands and do all the things and just sit with them for five minutes just to calm exactly. him down. Just calm him and calm me because like you you know from everyone that's on the radio with you what a crisis our healthcare system is in. So like how do I trust a nurse or someone on reception saying, no, he's fine. He's fine. So if you say, I, could I just pop in just for five minutes and have a mask They won't on allow now? it. No, no, I'm not allowed. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not he's allowed. He's on his own. There's, he's very upset. He's end of life. The he's guard went s- in. The guard went in and spoke with the nurses, and they assured the guards that he was fine. Now they're not going to say, "Oh no, we've neglected him, and he's he's sitting in his own pee." You know. The, so because my sister said then to the guards, "Did you actually see my father?" And she said, "No." So like even the guards aren't allowed in beyond the doors. Yeah. To see and check on my father. Yeah. But so you, like could, why, you could why walk does, into Why does the, that make me suspicious? Yeah. Do you know? No, but obviously you'd like to see with your own eyes. I understand that. Exactly. I mean, I, look, I'm trying to look at it through your eyes and the eyes of an upset dad and an upset daughter. And a few minutes would make all the difference just to calm exactly. your fears. Exactly. I mean, like, what if this is the last time that I get to see him? They're telling me because of stupid restrictions, because they can't cope, you know, and I could bloody well ease their burden by just being he's, in there with him uh, yeah, but he's, he's to in the, the best, bathroom. I know, but he's in the best place now, you know, and he's getting the best to care. Do you think so? <laughs> I hope so. I beg to differ. Is there, there's a family that liaison. That man cries 
like, you know, at the thought, like, he would rather die at home than be put, put back in here. He hates this place. He dreads it. He's been in here enough times. He knows what to expect when you come in here. Neglect. So, like, why, you know, like, like there's nothing getting better about any of this, Neil. And you, he knows it. And he cries like a baby. Don't bring an ambulance. Don't send me back in there. And, like, and now he's in here. And I should be allowed to be with him. I should be allowed. Like, it's just, I mean, who made the law or the rules that I can't see him? One, one second there now. Just one second. Janice? Hello. Okay, why am I talking to you, Janice? What have you got for me? Um, I, I'm upset myself listening to her on the phone. My own father was in two weeks ago. Yeah. And we the same situation trying to see him. Yeah. But we had a lovely lady in, in the Marcy. Her name is Tracy. She's a liaison. Family and um, family impatient officer. So oh, wait a second so now. Was your dad, was it, was it your dad you were talking about? My own father, yeah. What, what? He was in three weeks ago through Amy. So we were trying to get in to see him and stuff. My mother was allowed in with him. But uh, they're elderly, they're 72, so we needed someone to go in and listen. So I got advice from a friend of mine, and Tracy is liaison, a family officer in the Mercy. Was your dad in the A&D? He was, he, and he was put to a ward as well. Okay, but when he was in the A&D, was that when there was a restriction on you going in? Um, no, my mother was in with him at that time. Why was she allowed in, though, if... Um... And my dad was hard of hearing now and stuff, and no, she wasn't at the beginning. He had to put up a fight. There was actually a doctor, saw my father, and asked my mother to leave, and um, she said she did leave, but they weren't on Connor back in again because they couldn't... Under- he, he's hard of hearing, you see. But it's, it's a desperate situation. But the restrictions are in place in the A&D. This would not be happening in a ward in the hospital, but it is happening in the A&D. It was in the ward as well. We were stopped numerous times going in to see him when he was put to the ward after three days. But that, that lady, Tracy, the liaison, I, I'll get her full name and I can uh, send it on to you. She's a great help in the mercy. She yeah, really is. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's an advice I give to herself because um, it's, it's awful the way they're elderly and um, they're being treated over there, so... Why do you say that? In what way? Uh, like that now, my father, he was on a trolley for three days um, and they're understaffed and like a family member. Stains, sheets and everything, like it's just ridiculous. Three days in the same sheets, like with blood stains and everything. Yeah, and my father, his, his back was hurting and he was trying to go to, to the toilet himself and uh, they're just understaffed. I know where you're coming from yourself. You, you'd like to be there to help your father, you know? So if Dee's dad wants to go to the bathroom, there's probably nobody to help him if she's not there. No, they need someone with them, like, all the time. Yeah, yeah. He's very frail. He's in an awful lot of pain. With COPD, he can hardly breathe. Okay, well, Janice, thank you for that. There's a family liaison officer within the Mercy, you're saying, and she should contact them. How did you contact her? Just by ringing the switchboard, is it? Um, it was an email. I sent an email to her. To her. I, I'll get her phone and I can send it on to um, I We sent it by email, our family, and uh, she really helped because he ended up being in for three weeks. So um, she, she kept in contact with us all the time and we were let's go, go to and from the ward as well. Yeah, I mean, it just strikes me as slightly peculiar that these rules it's are still in place, like, that they're still in place that as I they were during COVID. My dad. Yeah. 
You know, you would think that they would have been relaxed somewhat unless they feel that there's no space for you, that you might be getting in the way. I don't know. It is. That, that's what they maintain, that it's, it's the, the, the A&E is too busy. But, like, I'm not going in to wander around and say hi to other patients. I want to sit with my dad in a cubicle. Okay, hold on no. there a minute if you don't mind. Uh, thank you so much for that, Janice. Appreciate your contribution. Patricia, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for calling. What's, uh, what's your story and the story of your poor dad? Well, I'm just a little bit distressed over that lady, to be honest. I didn't really want to come on this morning. My dad is very ill in hospital at the moment, Neil, but like we had a very different story because my dad was taken by ambulance from his nursing home um, last Friday week. And from the moment that I met him off the ambulance, every single person was absolutely phenomenal to us in there. Mercy Hospital? The Mercy? It was the Mercy Hospital, yeah. 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 Um, Now, to be fair, I suppose in the A&E, we were in a cubicle, I was with him. He has um, dementia. He's very frail. His heart is under a bit of stress from his lungs trying to work and He's really fighting hard meal, you know, but um, they are under a bit of pressure there and there is another virus that's up there at the moment, but that lady deserves the same rights as we got because I did want to ring you yesterday regarding the donuts because everybody that we have met from St. Finbar's to St. Joseph's Ward. I'll send them. Chaplain. I will. I will. I, if you didn't get through yesterday, I would make it happen. Yeah, for I, you I just couldn't. I'll, I'll make it happen for you next Monday. But why is it that you and Janice got different treatment to Dee, whose dad, Michael, I, is a lot of pain. I hate reminding people of end of life care. Yeah, he's on his own. He's on the phone to her and he's very upset no. and he's crying. And yet she's outside the door. You'd think she could get in for I'm five actually, minutes. <laughs> I'm actually like, I mean, I've literally broken into the bloody hospital. I'm sitting. I know, Janet. I would have said the exact same way about, about it. My father is my life, my best friend, and there'd be nobody. But they didn't at that time. No, this was Friday week last Friday week so I don't know what way A&E is with this norovirus that's flying around now but just you know keep pleading with them you know that she's no more she's no more a risk to bring that virus in as to somebody who's going to no absolutely not absolutely not she needs to be with I just don't understand it and and Janice once has he has he gotten a bed yet like he's 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 on a trolley in a cubicle. That's all okay. I know. Like I wish I, I know. could see him. Like and he needs know. you, yeah, because it makes all the difference when they have a familiar face, a voice that can help them. I I understand. It wouldn't. It, it, forgive me for forgive, forgive me for saying this now, but it wouldn't make it worse if he sees her or sees you, uh, Dee. Would he get more upset? I wonder. No, I don't think he's reassured. No, no, get any more upset. Right. Okay. No, okay. he needs more upset. He needs his family. You know, like he is scared, senseless in this place. Yeah. So they, but they, what did they say to you? Is they're extremely busy at the moment and they're cutting down yes. on footfall. Did they use that exactly. term? Exactly. Footfall. Yes. You're not footfall. footfall. You're his daughter. Exactly. That's why I got so angry, Neil. I'm not footfall, and I'm not there for a visit. A visit sounds like a jolly. I'm not there for a bloody right. jolly. Okay. I just want to be sure in my own head, because if God forbid he goes, and I didn't make this effort to try and see him, you know, like, like why are they making it so difficult? I don't understand. Right. Like, I'm, okay. I'm okay. a good person. We're nice people. We don't, like, 
I'm not here to cause trouble. I just want reassurance. Yeah, you're 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 very upset because he's vulnerable, he's alone, and exactly, he's frightened, and exactly. he doesn't want to be there and in the first place. He doesn't even want to be there. I know, exactly. I, know. I feel his pain and his fear, and I can't do nothing about it. Other than like, even if I could just go in and just see him. Well, why didn't you go in and ask again now and let them see how clearly upset you are? Just say, please. They know how upset I am. Like, why would I go to the bloody... Like, my knuckle is bleeding because I was knocking on the door so hard to get in. Okay, you're not... You can walk into the A&E. You can get that far, but not further to the cubicle. Exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then you hit the restricted doors. But they're flying wide open. Like, if I wanted to be a right maverick there and I could just run in and, and look for him. Well, I wouldn't be inclined to do that, but... Um, I, I'm assuming we're making a call to HSE and to the Mercy to get their their take on why these restrictions are in place with particularly circumstances they were, they were t- the guards said like that um, they, they can't make allowances for one and not the other I but mean, they have done on. that but there has been every patient is different like yeah. everyone has different needs so like you can't have a blanket restriction for everybody Okay. Like, you know, as I say, like every patient in there has individual needs. And my dad, like, needs stuff that they don't have time to give him, like a bloody glass of water, a trip to the toilet, a tissue to blow your nose. Yeah, and you know? a lot of people are in support of your cause, obviously, but not everybody. One person says you need to pull yourself together. Lots of us had family in hospital throughout COVID and we weren't allowed in. And fighting with the staff will do nothing to help your case. But but COVID shouldn't be that big an issue exactly. anymore, I would have thought. Exactly. I mean, that's all we all learned from COVID. Okay. We so all what? did our best during COVID. We all followed the rules and whatever. And, you know, as I say, the rules, the, not all the rules still apply. Yeah. All right. Okay. And that um, person who said I should pull myself together, I pray to God they never have this kind of a stupid fight on their hands. Are you going to stay there and keep trying? Yeah, I'm going to sit here and kneel until someone removes me. Okay, okay. You've got your mask on and everything. And boy, boy, oh, it's, it's down now just because I'm talking to you. Right. Like, but I'll put it okay, I'll be interested to see what the Mercy and the HSE have to say on the matter uh, to us yeah, and to you, see if that makes sense. You might tell difference. me because like, nobody's talking to me and I'm clearly sitting here like a nuisance, but you know. Well, you're not. You're just, you're just a loving, concerned daughter. That's what you are. Yep. Okay. All right, and I'll I'll be, I have nothing to lose other than the last few moments with my dad so they can do whatever they want alright well listen uh, uh, you're not going anywhere and I'm not either we'll be back no. to you again as soon as we have any kind of an update or detail alright right? thank you All right, Patricia thank you. thank you Janice and thank you Dee Dee is still at the mercy back after the break your thoughts and that are welcome in the times we live in um, text 86 we got more calls on the way talk to Neil Prenderville now 0818 Red FM we're very much on the case in this story regarding Dee and her dad we really are we're in in the middle of talking with different stakeholders involved in not just the Mercy but HSE and governance and things like that so hopefully we'll have a, an update on this I promise you that um, let me go back to the phone lines though in the meantime um, there's a big difference now between a visit in a hospital ward and a visit in an A&D when you go through the A&D into a cubicle there are different rules applying that's my understanding of all of this Sarah good morning morning Neil help me out here tell me your story to begin with yeah, so um, my story, Neil, it, it would go back now, I suppose, to when there was a lot, you know, stricter restrictions in regards to COVID. So it would have been back in October of 2021. A long time ago. Different world then, different yeah, rules, different was. regulations. It, yeah. it was, it was, as we all know, and we like to forget, I suppose. But my, at the time, um, my poor nan, um, she had, she was up at home and she had had a, a stroke while she was at home. 
and we we obviously you know we kind of suspected that was what it was anyway just because of some of the signs that she was giving and we called an ambulance and we waited maybe an hour and a half for the ambulance they were very busy that night and they came they checked her out and they were bringing her in the ambulance to hospital but obviously I had explained to them um, along with my uncle on the night that my nan not only we thought she was having a stroke but she actually had dementia and we kind of tried not to talk about that around her because she was still very clued in she knew all of us know. and you know yeah. She didn't like the word, so we kind of had a word with them and said, look, she has dementia and she's going to become very distressed now and upset if we can't go along with her. We have got to get those ambulance response times down. We really yeah. do. 90 yeah. minutes or whatever for a stroke victim were, is... Uh, they were fantastic. No, and I'm not portioning blame on the paramedics. I'm not. Yeah, I'm just, no, we just have to get it down to 10 or 15 yeah, minutes. We really do. Obviously, timing is a big thing. When oh, it comes with strokes, it's what it's all about, is timing. Um, it's, it's a huge thing, and we were very aware that like, we had made a second call to find out what was going on, and she was quite feeble at the time, so we couldn't actually even put her into one of our cars to get her there ourselves. All right. um, so it was, it was long, but when we had explained to them the situation that she actually had dementia, and if she was apart from us, she would become very disorientated. It wasn't their fault, but they had said, look, it's so strict at the moment, there's absolutely no way anyone will be allowed in. And I had said, like, you know, even though she has dementia, she actually has a carer, you know. Is there any kind of way that, you know, you can have some kind of compassionate grounds to lift those restrictions? And unfortunately, they had said no, and she was put into the ambulance outside of the home that night, and they had to do tests on her heart. And we could hear her from outside the ambulance very distressed. We were all obviously very upset and distressed because of it. Um, And... My mom actually, I feel so sorry for that lady that's on talking now about her dad today Dee. because it reminds, yeah, D, it reminds me so much of my own mom. My mom wore a pass. She called every every hour. I say asking, is there any way she could get in? Because like that, now my nan was in the A and E after the stroke for two days on a trolley, and she wasn't actually admitted to a ward for two days. And they, my mom has been told she couldn't come in because of COVID. Yeah. But she was being reassured that my nan had been changed. We sent a bag over with pajamas and things like that. My nan had been changed. She was comfortable. We were asking would they charge her phone because it was, you know, running low on battery. And eventually, after two days of my mom ringing and putting up a fight, she was allowed to go in and see my nan in the A&E hallway in the back for five minutes. My nan was still in the same pajamas that she was taken away um, from our house that night. Um, it was all dirty. She hadn't been able to get up really to go to the bathroom much. So, um, you know, she wasn't she wasn't in a good state of affairs, to be honest. Was so she I, soiled, I are you saying? Um, I don't know about that now, Neil, but right. she was just... Her, see, her, 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 her pyjamas that she had on wouldn't have been suitable to be sitting in there on the... On no, but the this is the March 2023, right? I would have thought that we'd come a long way from your description there. Uh, I appreciate that there may be another virus or there are other outbreaks or, yeah. or germs spreading. I, I understand all that. But at what stage are we going to say, okay, we need to you get know, on with life now and show a bit of compassion? Show a bit of compassion to, you know, the older people that have lived through so many diseases and viruses in their time, have worked hard all their life. Like, my nan was making phone calls to us, very disorientated. She was crying, leaving voicemails, saying she didn't know where she was. She thought at one stage that she was in a restaurant on McCartney Street, um, crying why we'd all left her. Like, she was very upset, and obviously it was very distressing for my family because we we so badly wanted to get in, and we couldn't. Um, but but I, is I, it right that Dee and her dad, like, he, he could be feeling the very same now, the way your oh nan was. God. That's why I have right to now. Because we'd be quite private, but I just when I heard you there, I said, "My God, it just brought me right back." I like they should not be going through that today. It's just like Neil, I've been over in the hospital um, 
a couple of times myself in the last two years with my small children sitting in the A&E for hours. And the doctors and nurses are fantastic. They're doing their best. But they're very stretched. And I'm telling you now, inside in that A&E, specifically, I will say in the Marcy A&E compared to CUH, just from my own experience, there is an awful lot, especially on weekends when I've been there, people who are very drunk, they're refusing to wear masks, they're being aggressive to staff, to people who are sitting down in the chairs. It's frightening to sit in the A&E with your children. And for those people to just be able to roam freely around any and get the treatment. And then you have respectful people like me, my own family, and so many others who will go up, wear all the masks, sanitize our hands. We only want five minutes of reassurance. And we're not granted that. Five I minutes. just think that something needs to change. Like, right. it just should not be happening anymore. These people are suffering. And, like, it's very unfair, I think, if anyone's texting and said he needs to get a grip. At the end of the day, this is real people. and They're not numbers. These are I'll do some of the, I understand. I'll do some of the other texts in a few minutes' time. I only yeah. just isolated one there, but there are others. Perhaps I shouldn't have picked a negative one, but I did, and that, yeah. that's done now. Here's one, for instance. Hearing, uh, listening to that poor distraught daughter, could somebody with compassion please allow her in to see her dad, for God's sake? Um, so there's another one. Just caught the end of the conversation about the daughter with her dad in the mercy. I've been in a similar situation in another health setting. Uh, they want to discharge my father who lives alone with severe memory loss with no organised support. I emailed the manager of the ward, got no reply, got on to consultants, GPs, public health nurses, etc., raising our family's concerns. It's all about family concern. I made it clear that they were putting him in danger, weren't taking responsibility if anything happened. Uh, um, and it wasn't until I added them into the email conversation that I got a response. He was not discharged and I was in full-time care. And put everything on paper. Maybe that's that. Maybe that's not necessarily related to what Dee is saying. Uh, but there are other ones that are very much supportive of her. Uh, listening to the radio, I hope uh, Dee. Um, uh, I hope I never end up in any hospital. With what I've heard this morning, I'd be terrified if I was a patient in any of them with that kind of treatment to family. So there's a lot of people in support as well, Sarah. All right. Yeah, that's that's good to that's good to hear. And I okay. hope anyway, myself that he, you know, gets some reassurance. Thank you. Today. Thank you so much. I thought we'd come a long way from when your nan was there. Did she pass away in January, the misfortune? Um, she passed away in January of 2022, Neil. Thank God. We were very lucky in the end because um, she was transferred from the Mercy that time after about two weeks to St. Finbar's. It was kind of like a, a you know, um, it was therapy home. They thought she was going to pull out, like be okay. And they were fantastic in St. Finbar's with my nan, I have to say. And then we eventually brought my nan home in the November and uh, the family were kind of there quite a lot and she passed away in the January um, at home and we had the help from Marymount as well who were just birth angels. They were fantastic. Oh, and, well, uh, that's nice to hear. She was surrounded by all her family which is what she would have wanted but it was just very sad that when she first went into hospital she had such an awful experience, you know, she was very distressed. But I know, I know. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you so much. Lorraine's a care worker in the community. Morning. Hi, Annie. How are you? Uh, when you say care worker in the community, what does that entail? Um, I, I'm, I'm home care. I, I, I look after people in their own home. Well done. And you say, have we learned nothing from the nursing home incidents? Develop no, that point. And I, I, really, I really hope Dee gets to see her father because I actually think it's, um, it's, it's heartbreaking to listen to it. And it's frustrating on the other side to see that we have actually learned nothing from the nursing home situations during COVID when loved ones were left without seeing their family members. And they were, they were in end-of-life care. What happened in nursing homes was atrocious. And what happened in Ballyno, of course, was particularly yeah. awful with the amount of deaths in a six or seven week period. Um, and a lot of the time, of right. course, you had families who couldn't get in and were looking through windows. We all know of the horror stories out of mm-hmm. nursing homes and how the elderly were treated and forgotten about. Um, 
you would think that that lesson would be now you should allow a family and member in if somebody if somebody is elderly or confused or upset or worried or um, unable to there walk. Is no, there is no one better to be next to that man, only that, his daughter. No yeah. one better yeah. to be there just to see her face. Is, is would be even is enough for him if he's it's it's very sad it's very very sad to listen to it okay but um, yeah you you you're you're, you're you're kind of in the same profession as many of those who are making the call to not let family members in can you see it through the lens of their you know can you see it through their eyes in the sense that maybe there is um a health risk if everybody is allowed in i i see it from both sides neil um you know obviously we have to be careful um, and there is there, there is still lots of viruses going around out there. That girl, Sarah, made a, va- a very valid point. You have loved ones going into home home settings and hospital settings who are willing to to wear their PPE gear, sanitize their hands, and just be with their loved ones. And it's still not enough for for these people who are making decisions. I don't blame them. Well, you think five one, minutes one would be? Here's a bottle of water. Here's your son newspaper. Do you want me to take you to the bathroom and yeah. leave? You think that would be okay, wouldn't you? Absolutely, um, and I think I, I just think they should even be allowed to even stay, even one designated person to stay with them. If you know, if they're like a lot of even dementia people, um, Neil, like they they only they only can see one face. You know, you know, one face. I know, I know. And tell me, could no, it just, just, just have yeah, that yeah, yeah, having a loving person there to help and to console and to comfort? It could it just? Could I just ask you before you go, um, have you noticed a big difference now in the people that you visit, you know, over the past two or three years? Or, or, or is, have, they been, have they been set back by all of this? Uh, to be honest with you, Neil, um, the, like the people that I go to now just want to move on. They want to get back to their lives, you know. I don't see any, I don't see any worry, like, you know, the fear that was there before with the, with the elderly people because there was, they were terrified. Yeah. They were terrified of you coming in. They were terrified of their family coming in. They were terrified of anyone. But I def- I do see they're a lot more relaxed now. And they just want to get on with their lives. They just want to be get back to I'm Norman. glad to hear that that's your experience because others are saying that they're slow to go back out or to socialise or allow people into homes, their homes, a lot of elderly people, that they're still in fear and the fear was ingrained into them by all of the fear-mongering that was... Um, that was given by the state and politicians and the HSC throughout COVID, you know, that they can't get beyond that now. And I do believe that is out there as well, Neil. That's definitely out there. I mean, my own grandmother used to go to bingo uh, two or three times a week and she doesn't she doesn't go now at all. Right. Um, okay. No, just all those little things, the social side of it I definitely is definitely out there, but I'm just speaking when I go into, you know, when I sit down with the pe- with the people and I chat to them and, like... You know, my experience for is that they want to just. They're more get on. resilient than I had thought, yeah, that they just want to get on with Absolutely. life. They're hardier about it. And I'm it. speaking from my own experience. Yeah, no, exactly. I know, yeah, there, I I know there is a lot of fear out there with a lot of other elderly people, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good for you. Well done on the but work that you, know, you do. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Nate. And you know, what's so important is that I just feel sometimes that um, they, they get so forgotten about sometimes. You know, we really need to look after them. And yeah, yeah. 
They're but, so important. Yeah, a bit of compassion. Let's see if we can make a difference yeah. in the case of Dee and her All dad, right, Patrick. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Lorraine. Take care of yourself. Right, Text 0868 104 106. We'll pick up the conversation after the break. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086 8104 Red FM. You can pick up the phone on 0818 106. Collect, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm very well and um, very sorry to read the text about the passing of your beautiful husband, John. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, um, I was listening to that lady there earlier and it was she really struck the emotion in me because um, I'm not talking about visiting or anything like that, but in my own situation, um, my husband will be 12 months dead next month and... um, he had been diagnosed with cancer and he had been going through seven intense weeks of radiotherapy. Yeah. But in the last 10 days of his life, he got pneumonia and he was put into a hospital, obviously. Um, I, I had to fight to get on compassionate grounds. I was allowed into him every evening for two to three hours, which I know I was very, very lucky. But I did ask if I could swap out how I have one of my one of my sons, I have two sons and a daughter, if they could see their dad, you know, instead of me and I was told no all over this COVID, no, no. But anyway, in the end I suppose I should have been too lucky that I was allowed in. On the Friday, he got his very last dose of radiotherapy in the Glendore Street in the COH and he was brought back to the South Infirmary. Um I was with him on Friday night. We had made a plan that me and my two sons and my daughter would come to the car park in the South Infirmary on the Friday, on the Saturday, uh, because we were so thrilled that he was after getting through seven weeks of such intense radiotherapy. So we had all of that arrangements made between the four of us. We, John was going to come down to the car park to the kids. I left him on a Friday night. And I got a phone call on a Saturday morning that he had collapsed and he didn't regain conscience. And could I come up immediately where I did? And by the time I got there, he was on a life support machine. And where I'm coming from now is my sons, my daughter, my sister-in-law, my sister, my grandson. All of them were all allowed in when it was too late when it he was on a life support machine and he couldn't see them. They weren't allowed in when he was awake. But yet, how come there was no such thing on COVID on Saturday morning when it was too late and he died three hours later? We were all allowed in then, but yet when he was awake, there was nobody allowed to see him. And this is what I can't understand. I'm so angry every night I'm in bed and I'm thinking... Why wasn't my children allowed in oh, for one visit? And that's... yes, they were allowed in when he didn't know no difference because he was on life support machine. And my children never got the option to say goodbye to their father. And it's heartbreaking for me and it eats away at me every night of the week when I go into bed. I'm thinking of that why my poor children never got to see their father or say goodbye to their father. We were told, it's okay, take off your mask, because we were all so upset. But yes, like, where was the COVID then? You know what I mean? Had he at that oh. stage been moved to an isolation area on his own, perhaps, in his own room? Um, no, no, no. He was in a high-dependency unit. He was in the high-dependency unit with other patients. 
and the entire family at the very latter stages were left in. No masks left required and you were all in. Say, so when it was too late. Are, are you telling me that the only way you could come up with in the latter stages of meeting <sighs> your husband and them meeting their dad was in the car park? Yeah, yeah, because I weren't allowed in. I The only way that I was allowed in, I had to get one of the liaison, um, liaison officers, well, my, my liaison nurse, she, she put in a request through the, for the um, infection control team and I, I was granted that I can go in because I didn't know how long I was going to have left with my husband, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I was allowed in every evening from six o'clock, um, supposedly for an hour, but what I couldn't make out was the nurses up there were so delighted that I was there because I was able to do things for my husband yeah. that they wouldn't give had time to do the one-to-one that I was able to do. And with where him, were know? we with regards to COVID restrictions and regulations 12 months that, ago? Um, that was uh, April. Um, he died on the 23rd of April. 2022, so, yeah. 2022, yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot so, of restrictions um, lifted at that stage, right? Um, well, uh, there wasn't as far as going visiting into okay. the hospital because, you know, I had to fight. I was told I wasn't going to be allowed in only on a Wednesday and a Saturday. And I couldn't have that. I, I, I just refused to leave the hall. I said, no, I can't have that. I said, I have to see him every night because he did need a lot of care and attention that I knew the nurses would not have time to, you sure, know, to do. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And what is still up to this day, what still kills me is my children only got to say goodbye to their father when he didn't even know that do they, they were talk there. do they talk about that and ask questions as well as to why it was like that do you know what I, I think they're just being so brave for me that all they're saying is it's okay mum we got we did say our own goodbyes in our own way you know but I tell you, it's just eats away at me eats away especially that I asked could I swap my visit, leave my daughter come today, leave my son come okay, tomorrow? Okay, so what difference would that have made if you had swapped yeah. and allowed another yeah. family member? I mean, no, when you went no. in, you weren't COVID tested or temperature checked or anything. No, right? no, I you, just walked straight in. So, so they, they never knew what your health was like, ever? No. So why no. wouldn't it have been okay for you to go off one evening, exactly. a son to go in just once, a daughter yeah. to go in just once? What yeah. difference would that have made? Yeah. Yeah, this is what I can't understand. The rules are so different. And on the day that, on the day that he was gone, we didn't even we were all allowed in. And then on the ver- we, at the very end, you can all go in, no masks. Yeah. So yeah, no wonder it yeah. eats away at you. I hope you get. I hope you get past on. that eventually. We we did have masks on. We were told when they brought us into this room, it's okay. Look, you can take off your mask. So the whole lot of us are sitting in but one make, tiny, tiny th- room. Yeah. Who made these rules? Who made yeah, these rules? That's, that's my point. My poor children missed out on seeing their father when his eyes were open, and that is my point. Yeah. What difference would it make if if okay? So they would say one family member can visit. Who decided that it would have to be the same family member every time? Yeah. That yeah. No and I, I said, I'm willing for one of my children to come instead of me. And we take our turns. I said, I'm not asking, can I bring my child, one of my children with me? I said, they take them. No, no, me only, me only. 
I could not understand that at all. Okay. I'm sorry, now I'm still shaking. I'm so. I know, oh. I hope that some stage you get over it and remember the good times rather oh. than that awful, tragic end like that, you know. I hope oh. you do. Yeah. yeah. So, listen, Neil, it's so raw and I'm still so emotional. Right, so well, thank, thank you so you much for letting me here. All right, take okay, care of yourself. Thank you. Regards Bye. to you and all of the family. So, we remember your wonderful son, John, your wonderful dad, oh, pardon me, your wonderful husband, John, and wonderful dad to your children. Text 0868104106. Selection of text, the side of 11. My mother was taken to the A&D and the CUH before Christmas and they wouldn't let me in. I tried everything, but no chance. A few hours later, they rang me to come back as she was confused. I was then able to stay with her for three days where she remained while she remained on a trolley. Um, Tell that woman take the lane way next to the emergency room entrance and that will bring around the back of the A&D. Well, I I don't want to be encouraging people to break and enter either or, or to, you know, Anyway, I won't say any more about that because she's allowed to do whatever she feels is right for herself. Uh, he's in a hospital, not a nursing home. Uh, my father was brought to the ND twice in the last two weeks and my mother the week after. We were freely allowed in to see them. Um, a lot of people suggesting that she should just go in through a back entrance and just go in and refuse to allow people to stop them. I see a lot of those texts. I've been to the A&E twice in the last year with my father. He is hard of hearing and needed me with him. Uh, there was also never any issue with me going to all of the appointments in the main hospitals. I don't understand why this lady isn't allowed to go. I've never, I never was questioned at all in any way. I just feel that maybe people are being pushy from the get-go and that it causes them to say no. Because honestly, I've had no issues at all. can't talk, but I just wanted to give my say. I don't see any difference between somebody being confused, upset, worried and frightened and needing the help of a family member and say somebody who's hard of hearing and needing the help of a family member. You know, I, I think, I don't see any difference in that. I think that need that you know, they all need help and compassion, or particularly if they're frightened or confused. Um, she called the guards because she objected to a hospital policy. Uh, I, I get that she's worried about her dad, but her reaction is a bit over the top, certainly from the point of view of wasting guard resources. I feel for her situation, but ringing the guards is not on that's fine for you to say that. I mean, and it's fine for me also, maybe if I felt that, which I don't. But until you're going through a scenario like that, it's, it, it's probably wrong to criticize, you know, until you actually experience what a family member is going through with the dad who's end of life. Um, stop the nonsense. What a complete joke. Leave the girl see her dying father. Her dad could die and she can't see him. Uh, my own GP said she is sick of COVID and it's time to move on from it. Country's a joke. He's not in the best place, Neil. If he was, he wouldn't be crying on the phone, for God's sake. Let his daughter in, says Angela from Carrigaline. Yeah, I know. You, you hear all of this stuff about, you know, politicians now saying and the boss of the HSE saying, you know, to the elderly, go on out now and enjoy yourselves. Everything's fine. You know, don't be afraid. Get back involved in the community and meet your friends and your pals. It's all very well to say that now, having put the fear of God into them for three years. Back after 11. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. The Neil Prenderville Show. Red FM. You know, we're very compliant as a nation all the same, though, and the things that we tolerate and put up with, and frustrating as it may be. Um, did you know that the ESB have just announced profits of 847 million euro? That's their profit, 847 million euro. euro. Don't forget now, uh, the ESB is state-owned. Right? It's owned by the state, 847 million. 
And also, would you mind also bearing in mind that those profits, of course, are tied in to increases. Last summer, Electric Ireland announced plans to increase residential electricity bills by 10.9% and gas bills by 29.2%. I'm reading from the Examiner Online this morning, and yet they still posted profits. And a lot of those profits surging, of course, because of price increases in the time, of course, of a supposed global shortage. These big, huge providers of power um, make massive profits. And the ESB profits, um, not far off a billion at 847, while everybody had to, put, had to put up with price increases. And what did that do? It just increased profits. So the user at the end of the day, the state stakeholders, us, are the ones that always suffer. Anyway, that's just for comment. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Some other texts. And I hope that there is some development in Dee's situation at the Mercy before we go off air at midday and that, that it happens that she's shown a little bit of compassion, that she can pop in to see her dad. She's very upset. He's very upset. Um, why is that woman so stressed out? Rules are rules. They won't leave anyone in. I went to see a friend of mine who was very sick and asked for me. I still wasn't left in. It won't do her any good and it won't help her dad's state. We have to respect what we're told in the hospital, says Marie from Clon. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just don't know. I think that maybe, you know, I know you can walk into the A&E if you're real. You can go into the A&E, but it's the stage after the A&E at the cubicle. But if somebody is very distraught, like if it was somebody who... um. Uh, couldn't hear or couldn't communicate or couldn't speak. They could have somebody with them. So with five minutes, just compassionately, in March 2023, somebody explained to me why that wouldn't be allowed. It's amazing the difference between two Cork hospitals. My elderly dad had a fall and we were just left stay with him. What was that hospital? I imagine you're talking about the CUH, is it? There was a time, Neil, as you know, when a nurse would sit and talk with a patient. That was their job. It was the title nurse. The times have changed so much. Um, I hope that's not a criticism of nurses. Uh, tell that lady rules are made not to be broken. Um, don't be disrespectful to the nurses. They have enough to do. There's no disrespect here. I don't see any disrespect in any way, shape or form. I just see a very upset daughter and a very frightened dad. Um, if everyone acted like she is acting, the A&D would be in a heap and COVID would spread worse. Uh, everyone is in the same boat. Maybe she has uh, guilt. Um, um Everyone has to respect the rules, even if we disagree with them. Oh, my God, I could talk about that text for the next 10 or 15 minutes with the benefit of hindsight and all of the rules and regulations that were in place over the past three and odd, three odd years. Listening to the lady on the air about her father, if he was in the COH, she could walk, uh, she, she can walk in the way the ambulance drivers go in. My mother-in-law was there last week, and we were with her all of the time. Um, there just seems to be no care for the elderly anymore. Uh, this has nothing to do with COVID. The HSE um, are just covering up the shambles that the A&E is in by let, not letting people in to see it. All government policies in the Gardaí are just being used as the government hardy boys. Uh, they don't care, you see, the government about the elderly. They never did. The Gardaí should have better to do than harass the public. How <laughs> in the name of God. In the name of God, are the Garty Shikana harassing the public? If they get a call from somebody in distress outside a hospital, they go to find out why the person is in distress. They went in and they mediated on her behalf, for God's sake. You not hear what Dee had to say. What's with all this constant guard bashing? Anyway, enough for me. Text 0868 104 106. Uh, Michelle, good morning. 
Hi, good morning. How are you? Uh, very busy with calls. Um, actually, two yeah. and, and two different opinions here. One is rules are rules and others are show yeah. a bit of compassion and a bit of respect yeah. to, a, uh, to um, uh, an upset daughter and a very... And, and a very upset, sick dad who's in the latter yeah. stage in his, of COPD. But anyway, go ahead. Look, I can understand rules are rules. When the COVID restrictions were first brought in, we live in Cork and all of my family live in Dublin and Kildare. I didn't see my mother for months on end. Um, she was a very healthy woman, so there was no concern. And in November of 2021, she complained of a backache. And she went to the doctor and the doctor referred her to the hospital for a scan. And the scan showed that she had multiple tumors in different parts of her body. And she was admitted into the hospital and they said, you can't come in. And I said, you're not telling my mother she has cancer with nobody there. I said, that's not going to happen. And they said, well, you know, those are the the restrictions. And I said, I don't care. I said, I'm going to sit outside the hospital. I'm going to constantly ring until you let myself and my sister in. And they eventually acquiesced and they allowed us to come in. And we were with her when she was told. um, And she had developed other issues as a result of this. I need to really kind of stress that my mom was perfectly healthy before this diagnosis. There was no other indicator. Um, and she was in the hospital for about a week and a half and she was then let home. My brother flew home from New York and when he came back, he wasn't allowed in to see her because he had flown in from another country. So they allowed her to go home actually the night of the toy show and we were all together. And about a week after that, she just couldn't manage the pain at home. Like my mom went from being very active, walking my nephews to school every day to having to be pushed in a, in a wheelchair within the space of three weeks. How come? And how some? How come so rapidly? Because she just had a very aggressive form of cancer, okay. and it spread from her lung to her liver, and it eventually spread to the lining of her stomach, and that's ultimately what she passed from. Um, she couldn't manage the she couldn't manage the pain at home, and every time we would call the hospital, they're like, "Well, you know, Christmas is coming up, and it's really hard to get scans done." And eventually, they allowed her in to have the scans done. And it was the oncology ward. And I have to say, they were amazing. They, The oncology ward allowed us in, allowed me to sit with my mum. I was, you know, fully masked. I tested myself every morning. And within the space of two weeks, it was very clear that she was not going to make any form of treatment. And she, they then started speaking about hospice care. And she had found a place in the hospice. And the day that she was to be moved to the hospice, she tested positive for COVID, which she contracted in the hospital. Oh, my God. In hospital. Yeah. In the hospital, yeah. she contracted. And, you know... Well, you can kind of see why they were so desperate to keep people out of hospitals when the I patients can. were tested. You know, that, I can. That's a yeah, typical example of very severe restrictions, if you like, to it keep is. it out. And, you I, know? Can, and I, can com- I can completely understand that. But I was doing all the things that the nursing staff, the cleaning staff, the cafeteria staff were doing going into the hospital. And I, and I may just point out, there was one time when she was going down for a scan and there were two elevators. And one elevator was marked for COVID patients and one elevator was marked for non-COVID patients. And this was before she tested positive. And the person pushing her, her bed pushed her onto the covid elevator and i said my mom doesn't have covid can you please not put her in that lift oh sorry i forgot about that so you know i mean while rules are rules there and they're important they need to be you need to look at kind of like the whole picture um so she she look ultimately she tested positive for it and she was moved into a covid ward where it was general nurses um they were incredible but they said, you can't come see your mum for two weeks. And I said, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, no, two weeks. Two weeks, you can't come in. 
Um, and I said, my mum's dying. She's not going to last two weeks. And they said, well, you know, that's the rule and it's two weeks. And I called the administration and I said, I'm going to get a solicitor's letter. Because she, the start. two weeks was because she would be in COVID isolation. Yeah. Were, yeah. she, were she in a bedroom upstairs in your home, you wouldn't have gone into where you see, Michelle. You're talking about, they would say to you, this is November 2021, yeah. remember, right yeah. in the middle of the thick of it. Yeah. yeah, but we tried to take her home. We said we would take her home. My mother was dying. She was not, she was, I understand that she had COVID. Um, I completely understand that she had COVID, but she was going to be dead before those two weeks were up. Like that was something that was going to happen. And yeah. we were just, what were we supposed to do? Just let her, yeah. you know. You I knew mean, that was, inevitably was this open. was the end. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And like, wanted pubs some were time. Opened. Yeah. yeah, cinemas were open. Movie theatres were opened. You know, people were, restaurants were open. So I was going to spend my mother's last minutes with her, last days with her. And I really had to push, but eventually they said, okay. And I have to say, it was the administration that I had to push against. It was never the staff and the staff were incredible. And we went in myself and my sister went in every single day and we fully gowned up goggles, masks, hairnets, everything. And we sat with her and she was very lucid Christmas Day. We put on, you know, Christmas carols and we strung some lights and she was very lucid. And the next day she started to slip. And the day after that, myself and my sister just said, look, we're not going to go home. We're going to stay in the car park. We're going to sleep in the parking lot. And then and the nurse said, no, we'll get, we'll get a, a chair for you or a bed. And they got a chair and we were allowed to stay in the lobby effectively. And the next day my mom had slipped into to a coma and they allowed her family members to come in and they were all fully masked fully this was not a, all right so different this was not a cork yeah. hospital though was it no it wasn't yeah. it was so a the, country but yeah so different rules for different yeah. hospitals possibly different yeah, rules depending be. on what staff were on duty things people it's you the staff it's the staff because ultimately it's the staff are only going to do what they're allowed to do because they have they have to toe the line it's the administrators in the hospital that are making the rules and that are passing these edicts down to staff and if you have a family member today in a hospital and they're telling you no you cannot go in for whatever reason and you know in your heart and soul that your family member needs you to be there with them then fight for your family member because you're their voice and you are their advocate and it is so important that you're there. And because we pushed, myself and my sister were holding my mother's hand as she passed. And that would never have been the case if okay. we didn't push. Okay. But never. why would there be a rule that would say, you know, one person visit uh, yeah. one hour per night, but it must be yeah. the same person when you could have yeah. a son or a daughter whose dad Absolutely. is dying? I mean, you know, yeah. like it, it just... They don't make... The, the rules don't make sense. There's no there's no rhyme or reason to them. There's no... Who's making no these thought rules? Out logic. Yeah, there's no thought out logic behind them. And I understand that there has to be rules in a time of chaos. I completely agree with that. And we followed all the rules. We stayed away. We stayed within our five kilometers or three kilometers, whatever it was. And I lost time that I'm never going to get back. And while I am so grateful for the last couple of days that I had with her and I'm really working on not being resentful for the time that I lost I would say to anybody who's listening to this advocate for your person advocate for your person advocate for your person so what should Dee do? just push to get in to see them yeah but Okay, but if they say no or you can't get through the door or you're not allowed... Then contact and tell them that you're... Then I would suggest contact... I would ask for them to send you an email as to why I am not allowed in. What's the reasons behind me not being allowed in? 
And then if you're not happy with the reasoning, go and speak to a solicitor. Contact the radio stations. Contact whoever you need to contact. Contact the administration of the hospital. Yeah, yeah. Contact the, the, you know, the nurse general of the hospital. Happy to say, we, happy to say we've done a lot of that this morning and, and I would yeah. be, it would be great if there was uh, a result or an update before I midday. Think, yeah. okay. You know, I, I'm, obviously I will keep listening as I do every day, but I think that there will be. I think when the spotlight is put on people, they kind of see the human side of it and okay. go, well, actually, wait a minute, maybe we can do something. Okay, I hope so. I hope you're right. You know, Thanks, Michelle. Appreciate that. Thanks. Listening Thanks. to you this morning, I hope I die suddenly and never end up in an Irish hospital. I'm terrified to be a patient in any of them. Just quickly ahead of the uh, ad break, Marika, good morning. Hello, Neil. Good morning. Marika's an overseas listener, listens in the UK. Morning to you. Distressing, isn't it, to have a woman like that and her dad inside in a hospital and he's upset and worried and isolated and, you know, can't well, get to the loo and Neil. she's got a bottle if of water that, and a newspaper from. I know, I know. If that was my, either of my parents who are both now passed, I'd be in there. I mean, I work in the NHS here, but I'd be in there demanding to see a senior member of staff of the management team or the director of nursing, I would be standing there demanding my rights and my father's rights to 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 be with him. What, what, what rights? What what rights? Uh, her father's human rights. Got, yeah, yeah. He's got dignity, fairness, equality, respect—all part of the human rights, Neil. And what they're doing, I, I think they're overreacting completely to COVID, the same way that all GPs seem to be overreacting, and I can get quite angry about this as well. We've had coronavirus around for years and years and years. COVID-19 was a more severe strain of it. And yes, and I think we weren't sure how to handle it at, at, the, at the start. Yeah, uh, But yeah, this there, is absolutely outrageous. There still seems to man, be, a, yeah, but there does seem to be a, still a lot of... Uh, fear or worry or, or, or protocols. Like I, I, I had a consultant's visit there last month uh, in out in the CUH, right? And I had to be there at a particular time. Um, and uh, when I arrived, I had to text the consultants to say, I'm in the car park. And then they text back and say, yeah, stay there till we call you. I waited an hour and five minutes and eventually texted from my car saying, you know, I'm here over an hour and five minutes. How long more do you want me to, yeah. you know? And, and bear in mind now, this would be as, uh, you know, Somebody that's walking in to pay good money. It costs hundreds of euros to see a consultant, but you're out in the car park. So I, I thought it was kind of weird that in this day and age it's still going on. So when I went well, in, I, I said, is this, weird. is it normal? I mean, is, is it still the same with all of you guys as it was through COVID? And they said, yeah, we're, we're very backed up. Um, we still, we, we're seeing a lot of patients and people who are still very frightened and very worried and they don't want to be in any setting with other people around them. So we have to keep people out in car parks, in their cars, waiting to call them in, in February 2023. So a lot of it's still with us, you know. Well, I think it may be in, in the minds of a lot of people, especially the elderly people or anybody that has an underlying health condition. But at the end of the day, Neil, we are going to have to learn to live with this the best way that we can and I still say um, there's a lot of overreaction to this it's either that or everybody has uh, their own personal 
bubble that they walk about in, never having any human contact with people. That lady really needs to be that. I mean, I feel her distress. I really do. My heart's broken for her. But she needs to stand her ground, go in and and demand to see somebody up at the top, the senior management team or the director of nursing. And they are compromising her father's human rights because... The lack of dignity, as she said, in case he soiled himself, they're not being fair. But what about the rights of other patients who might be vulnerable or immunocompromised in a hospital setting where people are rock, I shouldn't say that, people are in and out all day? I know. Well, we're going to get that anyway, Neil. We had a whole of that anyway before COVID-19. We were sat beside people or near people in A&E or in hospital for the likes of myself that works in a hospital. We had all that prior to to that. There's always going to be some kind of an infection floating about. We have to learn to live with it. We have to be sensible, of course. But in, in the case of that lady, who's just desperate to get in to see her father... Um, to actually to be his advocate, advocate, yeah. Because yeah. as she said herself, you know he's extremely poor, he's extremely ill. What about the distress that this can cause to him as well? So, is there somebody in an A and E setting in, in your in your experience that somebody like her could talk to or ask to see? There should be an advocate there for her. Um, she can explain that she wants to be her father's advocate. There should be a member of okay. the senior management team or you go to, to the top and you go up to the director of nursing, stand your ground and say, you're not go, going to move okay. until you see that okay. person. And finally, can I just ask you, you, know, you work in A&E and healthcare in the UK. Is it as, is it as overcrowded and chaotic as the Irish system? Well, I'll tell you now, Neil, um, I used to work in A&E. I haven't been in A&E now for almost two years because I work on the mental health side in rehab now. But the last time I was there... I would say it isn't, it's, it's chaotic, okay, but it certainly isn't as chaotic as it sounds over there in Ireland. Okay. I am so sorry to say. Okay, thank you yeah. for that. Do stay listening, yeah. Marika. Have a good day for yourself. Back after the break, text 0868 104 Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 Cork's Red FM. Uh, that's the nature of this programme. It, it goes off and does different things depending on the stories that come across uh, the airwaves and I'm happy to stay with it. was my intention this morning and everything else will will kick in again tomorrow morning but uh, do keep your own uh, contributions coming text 0868104106 if you've got a story that you want to get down you can email neil at redfm.ie dylan texted me though dylan good morning how are things i'm good you want to talk about um the hospitals letting us down in so many different ways because you have an example of that right yeah so um no i was just listening in and like it's kind of um the focus of this morning was that around elderly people and stuff. Um, I'm 23 years of age. Well, advocating for the elderly is what I mean. Who, who yeah, might be. yeah, yeah, no, that's what, yeah, that's what I mean. Sorry, yeah. I don't mean anything bad by that, obviously. No, I know but, you um, don't. Just, just say, uh, yeah, go ahead. But, um, so yeah, my, um, my partner was pregnant recently. Um, it was kind of um, a smooth sailing um, pregnancy up until, say, we hit um, January and she would have been in about kind of eight months in the boats. And I was working one day and I got a phone call. Um, uh, she was after getting a bleed at home um, dropped all my things I went home and we went out to the hospital and we were in there for about five days in the end but um, C-U-M-H and, or C-U-H? C-U-M-H ok um, thank you the third day yeah, yeah. and um, I think it was on the third day we were there um, obviously like you can't you can't stay overnight um, so I went home 
Um, we've had a lot of bit more bleeding and whatnot. Um, what are the restrictions like in in CUMH? How long ago are we talking about? Only just a, like a few months ago. Um, okay, thank my, you. My child is only a month old, so literally it's been from June up until now, basically. Right. Um, yeah. It's um, I, I well um, as a male, I don't think it's like there's no really regard for like for the, for the male partners out there. To be honest, you're you just kind of they kind of look through you. If, you, if that makes sense um, it's a lot of waiting it's a lot of sitting out you don't really get to go into many of the scans or anything like that um, so it's tough but um, anyway on the third day um, I left and she was after um, passing blood clots and stuff so blood, I went clots. The next day. blood clots yeah blood clots okay. yeah. yeah and um, I went the next day um, obviously with, with that kind of stuff um, the nurses um, before that it's held on to so they can um, examine and absorb it and they can go from there with it so we basically said to him, look, there's more blood clots after passing, uh, whatnot. Um, do you want to go and have a look at it and let us know uh, what need, um, where do we go from here and whatnot. Um, the nurse came back in after checking it, said the blood clots are fine. And then um, she was like, oh, and um, you, can get, you can get rid of that there now. And she walked out uh, and I was left to clean it. So that's why you said in the text, you had to clean up blood clots, four of them, the size of your hand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That that wouldn't sound to me as to be the best practice. No, no, not at all. Um, it's um, I was just I was just quite confused, like because obviously. What did you do? I cleaned this. Where did you? Where did you dispose? What? I, I used all the disposable bath and um, bins in the in the ward and stuff because my partner was up at the ward, so she was sharing a room with someone. But but um, there's only one bathroom in every room, and there's two beds. So if it wasn't cleaned uh, and someone else came into the room, obviously like they would have been going in and seeing whatever mess was in the bathroom or whatnot, you know. Was this a shared ward? Yeah, it was a shared ward, yeah. I mean, did you find that surprising that they, they were told, you do it? Yeah, like, ob- like obviously, like, I have like I have no problem when it comes down to it and stuff. Like, you know, I love, I love my girlfriend and all that and whatnot. Like, but... I just think I'm a small but underqualified to be doing things like that. Yeah, I would have thought so. Um, I don't think it would have been the best practice for a, a partner to be doing that kind of... That's, no. that's, that's medical intervention, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, it's like obviously it's not clean or, or anything like that, and I obviously know very little. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, you gladly um, you gladly did it because you... you oh, know, yeah, 110%. And if it came down to it again, I'd obviously do it again for and whatnot. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just don't understand um, why I was put in that position. It was you know? busy. It was busy in there. Um, there's some days you were like, there were some days we were out there, and it's it's very busy. But then there's other days where it's very quiet. So. Okay, and so everything I, I is, think, yeah, everything all right now? Yeah, everything is all everything is okay and stuff like that. Like, but I just think um, I don't know. Just kind of looking back on it, like you're just kind of you're just kind of like, strange request. Uh, yeah, yeah, so strange. And, and have you had have you had the baby now? Yeah, I had yeah, I had the baby. Like, um, baby was perfectly fine and all that, and all along, even with complications came up. But like, it was just like my girlfriend was the fair and stuff. And even like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to like speak too much on her behalf, obviously, on our experiences. But like, yeah, there's another, there's another rabbit hole there that she could, that she could definitely go into, and I definitely think that there's other young parents out there that could as well. What's a rabbit hole? Just, just the overall, just treatment of, in my opinion, of the of younger people out there. Um, obviously they have different situations in terms of when they're coming to their pregnancy and stuff um, but they're still entitled to the same treatment as anyone else um, I oh, think it's you, you, you kind of noticed that, that you're critical of young pregnant mothers and their treatment 
Um, yeah, I definitely think that there, there's uh, like the duty of care definitely isn't there as much as it is with women who are a bit older and pregnant. I wonder why that is. I wonder why that would um, be. Uh, like there's a lot of stigmas with young couples now and things like that. Like, I just think that we're not taken very seriously. Okay, okay. Yeah, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder yeah. if other people have had that experience. Appreciate it. Just, I mean, the one thing I'm hearing about the CUMH is that people aren't getting up and letting women, pregnant women sit down on the chairs. Did you hear that no, one? No, no. Um, See any of that? Just, Men sitting uh, down and refusing yeah. to get up, let a pregnant woman sit down? Um, huh? No, I haven't, I haven't really seen much, but to be fair. Um, but just in general, I think, but like, that, that you, you see that kind of stuff on buses and everything. I don't think you have to go there to see that. Men are afraid to pick, just stand up now in case they get abused if they offer a seat to a woman, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I think there's that as well, but... Yeah. Respect is the respect, I suppose. Well, I'd still get up even if I was. Yeah, I would as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, not that, it's not that hard. Like, yeah. like I mean, like the worry is that you'd say, "Would you like the, certainly to a, an elderly person or a pregnant woman?" But would you say to any woman because she might say, well, "What do you think I am? Do you think I have a disability or something?" I don't want your damn seat. That's the fear, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. But. um I don't know. Like I, I don't think it's too far, too hard to go over your way. Just offer. I agree. Like, I agree. Whatever answer you, whatever answer you're given is the answer you're given. Like, yeah, we'll keep taking the risk, thing, you know? Dylan. We'll take keep taking the risk. All right. Yeah, listen. Thanks for yeah, that. Yeah. Appreciate it. Best of luck with nice the new baby. Cheers. Baby boy, is it baby boy or girl? Boy. boy. Well yeah. done. Cheers. Congratulations. Nice I cheers. think there well be could be an update from the uh, Mercy Hospital. D's back on line one. D. Good morning. Hi, Neil. Hi, Neil. How's it been the last hour? How did it go? Um, we were put in touch with that lady, um, Tracy Deneen, the liaison officer, and she, she, you know, went through the same rigmarole and the protocols and X, Y, and Z and everything I already understood. But that all means nothing like when it's your dad and it's personal, you know. I mean, I'm, I follow the rules for the, the best of my ability for most of the time but just when it becomes personal so I mean obviously I understand where everything is coming from I have gotten to see my dad there now um, Oh you've been in very, and everything I have I've been in to see him and he gave out to me for causing such a commotion <laughs> but I've learned from the best he would have done the same himself How did he know there was commotion? I think people were ringing him and saying that your daughter's on the radio um, so yeah, he was ringing me and telling me to hop on. It was, out, it, was, until, it was out. It was out. I wasn't moving until I, yeah, yeah, but I wasn't moving until I saw him, Neil, because like. There's, there's, no, you're breaking up there, D. You're breaking up, yeah. No, I just said there's no trust. I needed to see him for myself. I'm and how kidding. was he? He's very ill. He can hardly talk, and he's waiting now on a scan, you know, to see if it's a lung a clot in the lung and stuff like that. So. Bless them. Like I mean, I just want to stay and sit with him. Like I understand, I can't. Did they tell you how long you could go in for? I had five minutes, and my sister had five minutes. (laughs) But you know, I just, I just don't think it's good enough for me. Was was that? Was was there a special exception made for you then? I believe so because I made such a. Okay. Muppet of myself, like. Do you think you made a muppet of yourself? Do you think you do? No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I, as I say, I kind of I'm sick and tired of following rules and being told what to do and when to do it, and it's all very well until it becomes personal. Okay, I do it like for the benefit of everyone else's health, you know, during COVID or whatever, know, and know, you know. I know. And was um, he happy then, to see you? He's not happy. He's distressed. No, he to see. Was he, re- was he relieved to see you when you got in? 
Was he delighted? Yeah. I mean, it didn't, you know, he's too sick. He's too sick. You know, he, yeah. Yes, he needs somebody, like, even just sitting there at the end of the bed and just, just someone being there. Could you tell me what was the main reason that you were given with regards to not being allowed in? Um, it's like it's staff patient and, you know, um, it's safety. They have a lot of, I suppose, maybe people that are coming, uh, maybe need treatment from prison or something or other. There's an awful lot of security at the moment. And so that was the main thing that, um, you know, like I suppose the chances of getting abused in their, you know, staff patients, whatever. That doesn't make any sense to me. That 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 doesn't make any sense to me. I'm just wondering. Was again, it's a staffing issue. It's a staffing issue. You know, be it like they don't have enough security, they don't have enough nurses, they don't have enough doctors, um, and they just don't need people like me in their way. And I understand that. Okay. Okay. And that was that a one-off visit, then, D. You won't be going back there. Um, I won't be going back. I mean, the liaison. You know, she took my number and she said that she really like she has my dad's consent to liaison after she liaises with him um, because, you know, like that, he... he Okay, it's your it's a shocking phone line. I'm so yeah. delighted that you did get in even for a few minutes' time. If you had your yeah. time over, you'd have done nothing differently. No, okay. no. Okay, okay. No, no I, I, as I say, I'm, the older I'm getting, the more bold I'm getting, you know, so, no, yeah. I've no regrets. Well, you stood your ground and an awful lot of people this morning were texting saying, you should stand your ground. What difference well, would it have made to you? Like, uh, what you difference know. would it have made to get in for five minutes? Um, you know, and now you did. Yeah. Okay. And um, what do you think the what do you think the prognosis is for your dad? Will he be there a while? Um, I I'd say so. Yeah. I mean, I think the fan will tell a lot now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he'll just okay. wait for a bed now at the moment. Like he's already admitted, but they have no bed. So, okay. Well, you, you stood your ground, and you need to be commended for that. Um, and uh, I hope you feel better now. Um, but no, I'd like to say thank you as well to that lady that rang in and gave, um, you know, the liaison's um, details, Tracy's details, because yeah, um, yeah. I think as soon as her name was mentioned, things moved very quickly. Okay. And I mean, I never had been made aware that there was a liaison a, a person so on until I made such, you know, a ruckus this morning. Look, oh, I suppose it's a message for people that like there is a liaison officer there perhaps and that rather than the route I went well, you know, we learned a lot this morning yeah, including the fact that there is somebody that can intervene exactly. on your behalf alright exactly. D it's not a great phone line we got there in the end thanks All so right. much for the update thank you so much Neil thank Bye. you the Neil Prendeville show on Cork's Red FM our phone lines remain open after midday 0818 104 106 I know that people are critical and I see critical text, texts from our topic this morning regarding D in the mercy. But there's one thing that keeps going through my mind and that is that she stood her ground. I have great respect for people who stand their ground. I understand that there are rules and regulations in place in all sorts of different parts of society. I understand that. Uh, but I have admiration for somebody who says, I, I need to do this because if I don't and something happens, I won't be able to live with the guilt if something happens and I feel that I didn't try hard enough. Do you know what I mean? But some texts anyway, people wonder why hospital staff are leaving when they have to deal with people. We're under, we all understand that uh, she wants to be there with her dad, but the staff must follow rules. Uh, people need to calm down and not have an aggressive attitude. A uh, bit of courtesy might be great. There's a vomiting bug going around in hospital. Just have to be careful. So when they talk about infection control outbreaks because of visitor restrictions in place because of infection control outbreaks. We're talking about um, vomiting bug then as opposed to uh, COVID risk. Uh, I'm Patricia's nephew on the air with you a while ago. My grandfather, that's my grandfather who she was speaking about. We we were able to go in uh, one at a time to see him 
in the mercy. I can't understand for the life of me why Dee couldn't go and see her dad. There has to be leeway for immediate family to see loved ones. Viruses and COVID apparently will be an excuse forever now. Um, don't want to give up my details, but my dad's been in a ward in the CUH with two weeks. The staff are brilliant. Nurses, care assistants, doctors. He's treated superbly. We are so happy that he's in the CUH. He's 92 and the staff are so kind to him and to us. Uh, and another one then talking about the memories that come back from 2022. And we got a call to say my mum was dying. We went up and only two were left in at a time. We were left outside the main hospital to take our turns to say goodbye to our mum. At 10 to 6, we were taken to the family room in the main hospital for tea and sandwiches. My sister and my niece were in with my mum at 10 past 6 when she died. We were all taken into the day room in the ward and we all got to see mum. Uh, I just can't understand why we couldn't gather around her bed while she was passing um, uh, when she was leaving us. But once she was gone, there was no issue with us being with her at all then. Uh, this will stay with me forever that I wasn't with her holding her hand as she passed. Uh, I hope that Dee gets to see her dad. She did get to see her dad, but you're giving an example of the two-in, two-out rule. So many different rules were, de- were dealt with at the time. Why would it not be okay to be at the bedside of somebody who's dying, but okay for everybody to be at the bedside of somebody when they had died? Um, I think Paddy O'Brien, who advocates on behalf of the elderly, uh, may well have been at the mercy this morning and has been there a lot this week. I think, Paddy, good morning. Good morning, Neil. What is the situation, morning, Paddy? What is the situation in, well, in the what Mercy? What happened, in fact, that I heard that pathetic interview this morning with Dee. I never met the person in my life. So I drive, I went up to the hospital just for one reason only, to give her a bit of support and to speak to somebody in authority. So when I went, I was unable to find her, but I continued looking for somebody. And I met a senior person and explained to me the situation that the reason Dee wasn't allowed to visit her father at that time, it was doctor's visiting time and that's totally, totally there's no visitors whatsoever allowed into the place now this person I spoke to I said she was in a senior position um, told me that um, this, this gentleman <clears throat> he, that he's not seriously ill he's not seriously ill and I hope that he's listening to this hopefully this will console her that she got not, in there you know that she got in pardon she got in no, he's not. He's not. No, no I'm saying the D Ill. got in to see her dad. She saw him for a few yeah, minutes. You know, yeah, I know. So what? But, but when I left her, she was saying yes in the next ten minutes, fifteen minutes, that D would be allowed in to see her father. Right. Yeah. Now, what I would have to say, I think they're more they're stricter in the the actual emergency department because, by my own personal experience, I'm visiting a friend here with the last seven or eight days, and I go over every single day, and I've no problem whatsoever, whatsoever. And I find the staff very, very helpful and all that. And I, but I, I still feel sorry for Dee. She's desperate. Obviously, she has a, re- a great relation with her dad. And um, things just went wrong. But I think that from what the person I spoke to, that was the principal and main reason. That wasn't what she was told, though. But I accept what you're saying. She wasn't told you can't come in yeah, now. It's yeah. doctor visiting time. She was just told you can't come in. Uh, I, but when you talk about coming and going, I, we're, we're talking about coming and going into the A&D into the cubicles section, which is behind yeah. the main D&D. Like, I, I imagine people can go and visit in wards in the main hospital, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with, with the need of the very street this morning, even the main doors, and there's a big sign, big sign up, no, no visitors, no, no visitors. But then this person so, came along and I explained my situation that I, I heard an interview with Neil Prendev and this lady, and could I speak to the lady or speak to some authority through certain, you know, 
make sure that she's going to have a visit or there must be a reason. And when this person came along and explained to me and what she said to me, I would like you to tell the listeners that that was the only reason that the lady came at a difficult time. Okay, It was a busy that. time for okay. the doctors, maybe different doctors at different beds, and it was awkward, and she had to wait some length of time, you know? Okay, well, thank you for that. But others are saying fair play to her that, you know, at the end of the day, Paddy, family is all we have, you know? And uh, if, exactly. we have, if we have worry or if we're in trepidation or if we feel they're isolated or they're upset, I, um, they're, or I they're, agree with they're that frightened, 100%. we need to be able to reassure them, you know, come on now. Like, let's get on with things. You know? Exactly, because when I was driving here this morning, I said, what we don't want is a repetition of what happened up in Bally. No. I mean, is, that, it, is it... Uh, yeah, I know, I know. But is, it, is there a vomiting bug in there? Are they, have the infection controls still in there because, because of what? COVID or what? Where they said signs saying no visitors. Yeah, the line is bad. All right, okay. All right, my man. Well, thank you for your intervention this morning. I just have maybe time for you. Yeah. Audrey O'Regan. Audrey... Hi, Neil. How are you? I, are you telling me that George O'Regan, your dad, who I yeah. knew very well, has died? Yeah. yeah, he died 16 months ago in the Mercy Hospital. I, I knew your dad for 30 years. I know. I know. Yeah, he used to, pay, used to paint my house and everything. I know he did. He's a great painter <laughs> and decorator. One of the best. Brilliant. He was only 63. He he's was. the funniest guy. and What a great man for a story. Loved Cork. Oh, oh my God. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. I never knew amazing. that. I'm so sorry, Audrey. How, it was sudden, Neil. How long sudden, ago? 16 months ago. How was he working away? He did a 12-hour shift on the Saturday. Came <sighs> home from work, had a drink with my mum out the back, had a chat, went up to bed. He got a bit of a turn. He woke up, he said he couldn't breathe, and he collapsed on the bed. So my mum rang the ambulance. The ambulance came out. He came round. They never took him. He said he is perfect. Everything's fine. He's perfect. And my mom was like, really? No, everything's fine. So that was fine anyway. The next morning, I rang my mom and she told me we all went down to the house. And I said, Dad, go in and get checked. That's not normal. I don't know, girl, I'm going to go off to work, I'd say. I said, Dad, please don't. I said, just go in and get checked. So I rang Mercy and they said, get an ambulance again and bring him in. They'd be not, he'll be fine. Dad went in anyway um, at 12 o'clock. Having a chat, he knew, of course, he knew the ambulance men, having the answer with the ambulance <laughs> He knew everybody. He just, all chat, he all chat. Great for the chat. He was great for the chats and the cups of tea. The paintbrush oh, would be down and half yeah, an hour later. You've no painting, no Neil, come out. This is four chats of painting. That's right. So I said, Dad, go in now and get checked. And he went in. I remember him taking off his shoes and he said, take them in there, they'd be robbed inside. Give me my slippers. <laughs> and he was laughing the way he went into the hospital. And he had his phone on him texting us all day. And the nurse rang at one stage and said, look, he might have had a small heart attack. The he, they blood to the heart was high. And I said, are you worried? He said, not at all. He's up here. He's absolutely perfect. Six o'clock, Neil, they rang us and said, your dad took a turn. You need to come in. My dad was dead when we got in. Now, <sighs> none of us were left in that ambulance with him because of COVID. My God. And when we walked in and what we saw was horrendous and... 25 of us then were left into the room. I couldn't understand it. We were left go that night. Can you imagine the shock now we got? So we were left go then that night with two blue, two blue bags, my dad's stuff, and left walk out of that mercy. We had no care. We had nothing. So I understand where this lady's coming from. That's her father. I never got to say goodbye to my dad, who was only 63, and he was perfect. 
absolutely perfect. He died in any after being in there for about six hours. Go away. Oh no. Yeah. Do you have another did you have a heart attack in the A and E? No, it wasn't his heart in the end. Wasn't it? No, because they said that the second blood they did was low to the heart. So she said if it was his heart they would have transferred him to the regional and they would have done a little stint and he said, Audrey, he'd be absolutely fine. I'm not one bit worried about him. The doctor said to me on the phone at four o'clock that day, she wasn't one bit worried about him. And six o'clock they rang my mum's phone and they said, You need to come in your father's after or your husband's after taking a turn. So when but you arrived, what, what when you arrived, did you what was he had he passed away before you got there? Yeah, he was dead he was dead forty eight minutes. When we got in they were resuscitating him for forty eight minutes. When did and you get to said, see him? Um, they were resuscitating him when we saw him. So we saw that horrendous scene of a man that was just on the phone to us and he was laughing. He was giving out about the dinner in there. He goes, I had a fry up. He said, a fry up me ass. He said, I only got sausage rolls and beans. <laughs> and I said, Dad, don't worry about your stomach. We'll get you sorted. You'll be home. I'll, I'll do a big fry up for you. So was he on a trolley in the A&E? He was on a trolley in A&E. He was doing his crossword. His nephew went up to the Mercy and dropped in two packets of biscuits to him and some grapes. He was perfect. His own mother was still alive. She died only, she only died not even a year ago. She only lasted 11 months after him. Sounds to me as if nobody, including the medics, expected this to happen. No one. Did they, did did you, forgive me for asking if I'm prying, but did you get a cause of death in the end or what? We we got the cause of death in the end. It was his lungs. They said collapsed. His lungs, they just couldn't. It was sudden death, basically, is what they said to us. But, Neil, the care, we got no care afterwards. How do you say? In what way? In what way? Nothing. We were left to leave the Mercy that night with our two blue bags. They said, you have to leave now. We must take him. We were... It was just mind-baffling. Like, I just... We were left to leave. No one rang us. No one told us anything. There was no liaison officer. We yeah. kept bringing me. Said, "My dad died. We want to know what happened to him. What were his final hours? Please tell us what." Oh no, we can't discuss it. We can't discuss it. This was going on for so long, and Tracy came on board. Then the new liaison officer, and she held a meeting with us, and we met as doctors and everything, and they went through everything with us. That was a year later. So we had a year of like oh, the relief we got when the nurse told us that she said, "Audrey." I was there with him when it happened and it happened so fast he never suffered anything he just went it's a he terrible tra- it's a terrible tragedy um, in such a oh, fast you could not predict that this was going to happen you know there, no. was, there would have been no way you'd have been able to get there on time you just it yeah, happened out no, of the he was gone he was gone he was gone, you know? he was gone but God love him they resuscitated him for 58 minutes and it was 48 minutes at the time by the time we got in and they like I, I don't think they should have let us see what we saw. I know, I know, traumatic, it was horrendous. Yeah. I know, it was absolutely horrendous. And we're still, my mom, my sister, and brother, and me, we're still at the end of that bed, and we can still see his face. I know, you know, I know. 
And he, he was one of the happiest go lucky people I ever met. He was always oh, grateful. He, he was always entering he competitions in all the different radio shows <laughs> I did. And he'd win a lot of them, in fairness to him. He'd often get he on would. to me for a couple of tickets for this or the Opera House, if you have any free passes for food. And He was just a lovely, lovely man, Audrey. Your dad was a gentleman. Oh, he was. And he loved so many. Yeah, he was. He was amazing. And we always have that. We have some great memories. You should be very proud of him because he'll he'll be very proud of him. I just want to leave her know, keep going in to see her dad. Because believe me, when it's up, you know, we never got to say goodbye. We never got, I know how much he knew, how much we loved him. He did, he did. probably sick of us saying it but All right. great guy listen I'm so sorry to hear the news Audrey I'm just heartbroken thanks, to hear but thanks for giving I me a call I hope that girl me... gets, gets to get in to see her poor father All right. she got in this morning for a few minutes thank God yeah alright I know thanks, thanks Audrey Neil. take care yourself. thank you bye bye very sorry to hear that news our lines will stay open you can text 0868 we'll pick it up in the morning guys have a good day I'll see you tomorrow for more Red FM podcasts go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts